Welcome back, everyone. The Grunge Bible Podcast rides again. My name is Chris Salona, and I'm here with Ethan Shalloway for episode 117 of the Grunge Bible Podcast. Ethan, how's it going? It's going well, man. It's going well. Getting it done midweek. Um, yeah, June is on its way. Yeah, we're in, we're in a good spot. How are you? We're just rolling along. I have been so unbelievably busy uh, for the podcast, for life. Uh, for everything, but it feels good. Uh, we're we're doing really really well, and uh, it's starting to get to that point in the year where uh, podcast listeners, if you've been around, you know that it gets really hot in my apartment. So it's I'm about to enter the struggle zone. Uh, but you know what? That's that's the grunge ethos. You know, you have to you have to get a little little grimy, a little uncomfortable to get get the things done that you need to get done. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, in the winter we wear flannels all the time, and in the summer we're doing shirts off. So that's that's coming yeah, soon for the, soon. Uh, the maybe, maybe the first July episode exactly. Yeah, and uh, I thought you were going to say it's that time of the month where we have to pay all of our bills <laughs> since we were just talking <laughs> Ethan, about it's it. It's always that time of the month. I feel I like know. every single every, day. It's like, I just wake like, up. Hey, I just wake up, and it's like before I leave the house, like you just have to spend like forty dollars on something. Like <laughs> I just, a... I five minutes before we started this, I just had to buy some external hard drives for this podcast, and boom, there's hundred and eighty dollars mm-hmm. out the window. But it's the price yeah. price of admission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to buy a uh, a new laptop or something for the you know, or and buy all the lights and shit. It's coming. Absolutely. Yeah, it's coming down the pipe. And <laughs> transition time. Now, <laughs> one way that you can help us. So, um, if you are listening, if this is your first time, please uh, just listen, enjoy, see if you like it. But if you have a long time listener, um, you know what we're about to say. We have ways to support this show and the page in just in general what we do in the community. And the biggest way is directly to support us through Patreon. So we have three levels, a two, a five, and a ten dollars a month. That's nothing. That's nothing for you. You know, if you break it up four episodes for ten dollars, it's like two fifty a piece. Basically so, free. So please consider um, becoming a supporter and uh, having some skin in the game, as we like to say. And uh, that'll help us improve the quality each week, improve the uh, the drive, all all of it. You know, it'll just help the page, and uh, you'll be a part of something. And like Chris said, you'll be able to spend spend money before you get out of bed, so that's always nice. But exactly, uh, please please consider if you're a longtime listener, uh, this is the time. Act now. It is, um, and and I gotta tell you, we've we've been on a little bit of a heater. I feel like for the last three yes. or four episodes, I've been able to be the bearer of good news and and and. Uh, showcase the fact that people have decided to get some skin in the game. And it's really important um, because, you know, there's at this point, 117 episodes in there, there's a fair amount of people that listen to us every week. Um, There's a lot of you out there that have been with us. And when you're in a big pack, a lot of times, uh, if there's something that needs to be done, uh, there's a kind of diffusion of responsibility. It's like, oh, somebody else is going to do it. But, um, you know, and and, and there's many cases throughout history where there have been a lot of people and nobody has done anything because they've assumed that the next person was going to do something. So don't let it get to that next person. Uh, If you like this show, if you like us, if you like what we're doing, uh, let's get some skin in the game. And um, speaking of that, I'm proud to welcome and very excited to welcome Eric R. Berry, to the $10 tier. Uh, I will be saying Eric's name every single week uh, from here on out because that's what we do with our $10 Patreon supporters. Um, 
So Eric Berry joins recent recent additions, Sherry Matthews, Keith White, and Epona uh, up there at the top level, the ten dollar level. Uh, so we've got we've got those individuals uh, recently deciding to hop into the ball game here, uh, and you know they stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the legends of the ten dollar tier uh, that we've been saying their names for quite some time now, and I will continue to say their names. I would like to thank Alex Long, Black Hole Sean, Brother Nature, the Blue Owl, Eddie Vetter got me through my second divorce. Doug Endy, Corden Stewart, Kara Kay, Captain Hightop, Faith Bittner, Fresh Tendonitis, Fuck Soup, Granny Grunge, Jade Mercado, Carlene Salona, Jamie Lynn, Chris LS, MS, Lauren Irene, Marianne, Millie, Nikki Six, Rachel Corning, What the Fuck's Up Denny's, and Seattle Four Fanboy from New Jersey. So to everybody who has joined so far, uh, thank you very, very much. Um, you know, this podcast is not free to do. Um, it takes time and, and there's a lot of different things that we need, especially as we're getting further down the road with storage and just trying to improve the quality and streamline some things. So anything that you do um, and every dollar that you contribute goes to this podcast, like Ethan and I have not made any money off of this, uh, but that's not what we're in it for. We're in it to talk music and to have great conversations with great people. And today we're really excited uh, to present a conversation that we had with one of our favorite people that we've met. Um, through Grunge Bible, uh, and that's none other than the mighty Eric Lederman, uh, producer for Late Night with Seth Meyers, uh, accomplished musician as a drummer in his own right, and just one of the more badass and awesome and passionate music fans that you could ever have a conversation with. Um, he's an alumnus of this podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to our first conversation with Eric Lederman, you can go all the way back to episode 38 uh, the 90s grunge and drums with Eric Lederman. That was back in December of 2021. Uh, but we had to have him back on, and uh, we were kind of going back and forth over the last couple of weeks, really, to kind of nail down a topic idea. And uh, the three of us uh, settled on, and, and we decided on a good one, and, and we're really excited to present this conversation with you today. Yeah, Eric, the best way to put it, dude, he's a real one. He keeps it real. Um, and that's why we wanted to have him on to talk about the concerts that he was able to witness and be at and see the progression over the years of Soundgarden and Nirvana. So, um, you know, he's just real. He says he wears his heart on his sleeve when it comes to music. He'll tell you if your music's shit. He'll tell you if it's good and he'll, and he'll have good reasons why. So um, you're going to get a lot of this, a lot of that in the uh, conversation. And uh, please enjoy because it's a good one. Absolutely. And and the thing about these conversations, they're so exciting and they're so interesting to me because as somebody who wasn't around for it, um, you know, this is primary source material of the people that were there. And, and there's people right. that listen to the show that are our age and younger, uh, also not having had the opportunity to see Soundgarden in 92 like Eric did. Um, but there's also people that were there, you know, during that time. Um, and I, I like to think these conversations are equally as interesting to them because, you know, you'll hear someone like Eric talk about their experiences and, and you'll be listening along and be like, wow, like that was my experience too. I remember when Soundgarden came out to searching when I saw them and, and how it captivated me. Um, so I, I think these conversations, there's something for everybody in them and there's certainly a lot for me in it. So I'm without, you know, let's just get right to it. Let's, let's roll the tape here. Roll tape. Yep. Yeah. We're going to roll tape. All right. Here's our conversation with Eric Lederman. All 
right, returning to the Grunge Bible podcast, we are joined by Eric Lederman, who is a uh, second-time offender here on the podcast coming on. We've had him once uh, about a year ago. Um, Eric, how you doing, man? I'm great. It's so nice to be asked back. Um, I'm really happy to be here, and I, um, I love being the weird Obi-Wan slash Yoda, but like a lot less genuinely wise. Uh, for you guys, uh, and I would actually erase that and I would revise it and say, I'm just so glad I could be um, the eyewitness to this time period as a real fan, just because I've always um, felt your raging jealousy of yeah. not to be 40, 46 years old like me. I mean, it's not a good trade-off. It's a, I'll say it's I a double-edged sword because we have our youth still. Um, right. But yeah, I'm you sorry. you do act as our sage <laughs> when it comes to uh, the older shows and, and a glimpse into it. So, um, you know, we're happy to have you because... As we're going to get into, we get to talk about uh, some firsthand experiences, and and you know sometimes when you know when you're up, um, you know with a microscope you can't see things so clearly. So as time passes, uh, you'll be able to see it in a larger a larger scope. So uh, the conversation is one hundred percent going to be a good one. So I'm I'm excited. Can't wait to get into it with you boys. Bring yeah. it on. This Chris, is how you doing? I'm I'm doing fantastic. I have to say, uh, editorial note here. So, Eric Lederman, uh, you were the first guest ever on the Grunge Bible podcast that was not myself, Ethan, or our producer Drew. That was really? way back, episode 38 in December 2021. And also, you have the distinction of oh. being the first repeat offender guest. So, you're here for your uh, your Grunge Bible podcast master's degree, and school is back in session. Episode 38. Oh, my yeah. God. And this wow. is twenty like, one. Yeah, who's, December. Who's, we recorded it in November of twenty twenty one. That was before Kafara. Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you got time on before. That was. That's a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> Guys, the honoring is like too much. I'm oh. so pleased to be back. I, we have uh, to start out on a high note, you know. My God, just like the compliments. But yeah, for the people, for the people that much. maybe haven't uh, listened to that episode, because we have a lot, a lot of new listeners since then. Um, Eric, you work for Seth Meyers late night, and you toured for a while. Why don't you go a little bit, a uh, quick, you know, the quick version of uh, who you are and why we have you on, basically? <laughs> well, besides my age and the fact that I was a firsthand um, eyewitness to really the grunge movement, like hitting, I will just say that. I mean, the biggest thing is like Nirvana comes out, Nevermind explodes. I'm at gym class and some like music snob, great guy though. His name is Lee Cohn. I remember he's like, you've heard Nevermind, right? And this is my freshman year, like very early days, 91. So like, just to put everyone for context, Nevermind hits at that incredibly, incredible like, time to say I was impressionable is an understatement. Yeah. So then from there, we're off and running, right? Fast forward um, to like 2008. I've been a drummer, my whole rock drummer, my whole life. I've also been a television producer and comedy writer my whole life. I always was doing both. I knew eventually I'd have to pick one. Uh, I probably knew which one it was going to be, to be <laughs> honest. But um, I did get some touring time in. Um, I had my own original bands for years. And in 2008, I toured with a band called Pearl, who is um, comprised of Pearl a day, who's Meat Love's daughter, has got an amazing voice. She still plays. She's a really wicked player. Uh, and Scott Ian, her husband, of course, of Anthrax fame. Um, and I, uh, they saw me playing my original bands like at the Roxy in L.A. in like 2007. 
uh, and they asked me to audition. And then from there, like I opened up for Velvet Revolver, Meatloaf, um, and just did like a, a couple of years of them, you know, touring the country, touring the U.S. and the U.K. Um, so I, I had I had my experience as a touring drummer. And then I kind of had to make a decision, I think, like, do I really want to do this as my TV crew was kind of moving um, forward. And um, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets about those things. Thanks so much for asking. Uh, but I will tell you, I will tell you that I getting to experience it and being able to tour and having that opportunity um, is something I think that a lot of people think about, uh, uh, you know, all of us who've ever picked up an instrument and actually doing it, even though it was only about two, two and a half years, I'd still played in my own band since I was 10. So to actually have that experience after dragging my shit around, working with other people in bands, booking shows, you know, um, dealing with my gear, getting better at my instrument to have that experience is really priceless. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it fulfilled all my dreams and, I was just going through all my concert tickets and I think about all the shows I had seen from when I was like seven or eight until today where I'm 46 and I just love live music. And I, again, I was really there for that pivotal time of when grunge really brought everything together. And um, now I'm a producer for 10 years of late night with Seth Meyers. I co-run the show. I oversee the band. I created the rotating drummer program, which is um, probably my biggest claim to fame as far as it relates to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Where I've had over 200 drummers, including some of the best drummers of the grunge era, um, which we can talk about uh, briefly, maybe a little later. But mm-hmm. I've talked about that on the last podcast a little bit more. If people want to go back and bore themselves with that. But um, that's it. I've been there for 10 years. We're in the middle of a writer's strike right now. So it's um, uh, it's a little bit of a weird time. We have no new shows. And I actually just canceled Matt Cameron today, wow. who is going to be on the show, I believe, next week. We'll pick week. him up. Let's pick him up, Chris. <laughs> yeah, let's I mean, you guys next should get next him. Week. Next week. Next week. Wow. Strike Next while week. the iron's Matt, hot. If you're listening, I absolutely he's available. But like Matt, if you're listening, which oh man, I hope he is. But um, <laughs> I think Matt would be great on the show, don't you guys? I mean, come on. Yep, it's gonna happen this year. Oh. We'll talk about that later. Oh, <clears throat> offline, offline. But yeah, so like that's what we're looking at. Where we're canceling, like you know, every week we're waiting for a resolution and um, until the WGA gets gets their deal. Um, so yeah, Matt, we had booked Matt like probably four or five, six months ago. So I just had to reach out and be like, man, it's not happening. What yeah, a bummer. Like, hey, by the so, way. Yeah. Yeah. He knew, he knew and right. he had checked in and such a great, he's done the show. I think three, three, three times, two in studio and once remotely and just a wonderful guy and players we all know. And yeah. so hopefully we'll, we'll revisit that down the line. So yeah. that's, uh, that's quickly, the synopsis. Of me. Quickly. Um, just cause we're on it. Um, what makes Matt really good for the, sh- for that show? And when you have him on, you playing with a band, like, you know, what, what because we like we know him, we know him in Soundgarden. So what is he? What is he like when he plays with a different group of people? Same, same thing for every drummer of like why they're good. Um, it's because they listen, and this is something like it's take. I've I have, I've been asked this question many many times, and I I probably have a different answer half the time, um, and I've settled on this one. It's like what makes a good drummer for this, and it's it is listening. And as a musician, if you come in, you're like, what's the assignment? And I think a lot of the drummers who do not excel, and I would say, everyone's great. But we all know it's like not everyone is great. And it's not a great fit for everyone. It's a very strange gig. It's a week. And you're, you're coming very cold. But to listen to what the band is playing and then to have to be responsible all of a sudden for playing in a band where the band has been playing together for 10 years. They know each other pretty well. And to end those 
to end those songs and those cues and to learn everything that's coming from the stage manager, from me, from the band, and then to also be recorded on live TV in front of a studio audience um, is daunting. So what you have to do is you have to zen out and you have to listen to the instructions and to the actual music. And uh, Matt is one of those guys who came in and maybe was like, oh, oops, let's try that again. But I, I just can't remember, but probably not. I think he was like one of those, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And there's a handful of guys like that. I mean, yeah. like a, you know, like a Josh, Josh Freese mentality where it's like, what's the assignment? You know, is the assignment Foo Fighters? Is the assignment Late Night with Seth Meyers? And guys who come in are just like, got it. Because they're great listeners. That is the, that is the skill for all drummers. Listen, understand what the gig is, what the music is, what the assignment is, kill it, get your check and, and, and keep moving, especially for the gigging player. So. That's awesome. And yeah, just, just you talking briefly about all the stuff you've done, we're reminded why you're uh, perfect for the show. Cause man, you, you lived it. Uh, and you know, similar, similarly, um, in my athletic career, you know, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm traveling a lot and being on the top stages. And I know that, uh, no matter what, at the end of the day, like getting a taste and, and, and getting into that world a little bit is going to, is going to hold me over for the rest of my life. And I feel like, you know, you got that touring experience and it's going to, it's invaluable. And, uh, that's really special. I'm, I'm glad that you have that experience because I mean, and it's probably helped. It helps you a ton with your job, obviously now today. And uh, yeah. but yeah, what a what a resume. I, I'm. It's always exciting to hear it again. It's a weird one. I mean, yeah. it is niche as fuck, niche as fuck. And I, I definitely <laughs> don't think my parents understood what I was always trying to do until I got the gig at late night, where it's mm. like freelance writing, producing. Then I'd go on tour. Then I went work for a month or two or three. And I collect unemployment that whole time. And they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I got it. You know, I'm yeah. like, I'm like doing, doing, I'm writing jokes on this thing for a week. I'm producing, I'm, uh, my buddy's directing a commercial. I'm going to be in it playing like a singer, uh, playing a drummer. Now I'm going to go out for a weekend shows. Now I had this gig for three months producing, um, you know, a show on comedy central. So all these things converge to the weirdest resume. But when they said, you know, that they needed someone to manage the band on the show in 2013, before the show launched, I was like, well, like, you know, your producer uh, is the most qualified. And then into the drum program, like, it, it, it's lucky for everyone, me and, and for them, like, that they had someone who worked with bands. And, and it's all really worked out wonderfully. I'm very grateful and very appreciative. And to have a job for 10 years in this business is a weird and uh, super fortunate. So, Absolutely. And, and, and it's funny, like, from the first time that we spoke with you, like, we you just instantly are aware of just the passion that you have for music and and how you've spent it's really your life's work honing that passion and, and exercising in areas where that passion can live and breathe and develop and you can have experiences and so much of that started when you were young um you know going to shows and and as we were talking about earlier i mean born at the absolute perfect time as it relates to what we do here and, and really like arguably one of the better times to be coming of age uh, in terms of what music is popular and what people are into and what you have the opportunity to go and see. And that's something, you know, when I was growing up, I was never really a huge music fan. And I wouldn't often, I didn't, I didn't go to my first concert until I was like 17. Um, so it's one of those things wow. now that I start, now that I start going to them, like you never want to stop. It's the best place to get experiences and, and to see, you know, the art that you love so much in action and it's so cool and that's what we're going to be talking about today just like the experiences that you've had seeing so many of these bands not only at a moment in time but over time and and to be able to have that perspective um you know 
as a musician and as a fan, as a professional, just how, you know, these bands have developed, how the, the musicians developed and just, you know, the memories that were made and, and what makes a lot of these artists so good and, and why they stand the test of time here, you know, 30 years later. Well, you guys are doing, you guys are doing the Lord's work, man. And that's, I think, I mean, I reached out to you guys first. I'm like, I just love that you guys are doing this. I find you on the Instagram page, you know, before you launch the podcast, but um, I think, or you had just started doing it. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, there's other, there's other grunge. Um, I want to say there's other grunge pages out there like Instagram who, you know, copied what you guys have did. And I do follow, there's one I follow, which I will not name because I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to give them any yeah. airtime. No not going to name air them, time. but like, I, I do sometimes watch what they post, certainly, but I will never, ever like one of their posts. <laughs> I, they will not get my like. <laughs> I like, like it. They will go. not get it. Let's and I go. definitely have tapped it a couple of times. Thinking By it's accident. Like you take guys, it back. Like, take it back. I take it back all the that's time. That's reserved for and the Grunge I, Bible boys. <laughs> I definitely do a little giggle, and I'm like, that's that's not for my dudes. But um, I just appreciate that you guys are humble enough um, to like ask questions and I think that's kind of a lost art with gen that generations are suffering now where the youth, and I say that respectfully, are not interested um, in like asking questions about how was it? What was it like? Um, I think everyone is so tuned into their own experiences on their phones and creating their own reality of now and, and shaping themselves and how they fit into history, whether it's significant or not. And I think that the fact that you guys are actually interested in this time period, the way a lot of people like my age were all these, they were all classic rockheads, right. like at all the bar mitzvahs and back in the day, like when everyone was junior high, they're like, oh, the who and all this stuff. And I go, guys, we have like, I mean, also, I love it. We have glam rock. We have really pretty like, you know, interesting stuff happening in the 90s as far as like indie rock goes, um, totally. in addition to, of course, grunge and metal. Right. And everyone, there were so many kids like in this North Shore of Chicago, I grew up, who were so interested in like classic rock and like they're thinking like, you know, their parents' music was cool, which it was, but it's not like um, they were, you know, growing up in a, in a, in like, let's say like a time when music was shittier, I would say like, you know, later in the 2000s when things sort of lost their way, post-grunge, post like metal was a little confused, new metal was in there, which has some great shit, but, you know, metal and rock sort of went underground. And of course, now we're in a period where, Actually, now rock is getting sort of a resurgence, very slowly building, you know, totally. churning underneath underneath the, the surface. And I think you will see that in like the next coming year, couple of years that like maybe in a year or two, rock is really going to come up. I think people are a little respectfully to hip hop and which is really the pop music of our time and just a lot of syrupy pop music. That stuff will have its time again, too. But I think it's really oversaturated and rock yeah. music and playing an instrument and being analog. You know, I could go on this all day, vinyl sales, all these things, but people realizing like, oh, COVID was really shitty. I'm going to go like pick up my guitar, play drums with like another person in the garage. Yeah. And people kind of lost that and lost it hard over COVID. And I think that discovery is coming back. So that that's a good omen for rock music uh, to come for sure. Yeah. Well said. Paid for by rock music right there. The rock <laughs> music uh, board. The rock, rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, what's that? Oh, they're not interested? <laughs> Oh, they're interested in rock music? Okay. <laughs> burn, 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 a little burn to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right there. Absolutely no interest whatsoever, it seems. Um, 
I feel like it's it's just an annual uh, point of outrage, the Rock Hall of Fame, and especially like around these parts, yeah. like oh, like how like how come X band isn't in? How come Y band didn't get in? It's like I don't know. I don't like <sighs> as a fan, like I don't need the my favorite bands to be enshrined for them to mean more to me. But it is interesting how we they just drop the this. ball with so many things. This is another episode. Yeah. We did. We we just hit on it a little bit a couple episodes ago because. Uh, oh really? Rage got in and uh, Soundgarden did not. They've still been denied. Speaking of Soundgarden. Yeah, we've been <laughs> so, we've been tickling the Soundgarden thoughts for a while. And Eric, you, that like we were talking about, you know, with growing up around that time. Obviously, you're right in the wheelhouse for Soundgarden, and you were able to get a lot of. You were able to have a lot of really really cool experiences with this band, and this is something that. Um, Speaking to your point earlier about like asking questions and wanting to know people's experiences at the time, like I am so interested with people's experiences at that time, seeing yes. the bands that have become my favorite bands because I I didn't have the opportunity, you know, by by the waypoint of where I was born and when I was born, I didn't have the opportunity to see any of these bands in ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, um, and and I think as a fan you. You, you miss out on something when you don't see something like that live and you're not aware of it when it's happening. Um, so I think Soundgarden is, is the best place to start in terms of your experiences with becoming aware of the band and then like the driving force of like, hey, like Soundgarden, they're, they're coming to the Aragon. Like, I need to get tickets to that I need to be there. So like, what were your earliest memories, I guess, of a Soundgarden, um, you know, kind of kind of coming across your consciousness and, and it becoming something that you kind of dug and you wanted to get out and see? Okay, so um, Bad Motorfinger, I believe, is 92 or is 91. It 91? I think September 91 okay. or October 91. It's it's the end of ninety one, so um, I uh, I it, it, I think Rusty Cage comes out and they put it on Headbangers Ball, right? Mm-hmm. Late ninety one, like probably November, based on that release. What you're telling me, so I this is my freshman year again, and again we're, we're, Nirvana. Never mind, it's already out. We'll come back to that later. I think in the show, but Bad Motorfinger is out. Bad Motorfinger, you know. They are pushing Soundgarden into Headbangers Ball, which is firmly metal. Right. And they're just like, they're not calling it grunge. I think they might have been calling it grunge at this point. But they're, I remember Jesus Christ Post comes on um, Headbangers Ball in the video. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like I like that. I knew I liked it. Um, but I don't think I bought the cassette um, right away. But because I know when I went back and looked at my dates, I had tickets to go see Skid Row, who were in the midst of their second album, uh, Slave to the Grind, which is, again, there's a lot of haters on Cock Rock, um, but Skid Row's second record um, is a much heavier record than the self-titled record that they put out in 90, I believe, or even 89. Anyway, so so I have tickets to go see Skid Row at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And um, I see that Soundgarden is opening. Probably get those tickets in December for a February 14th, 92 show. Um, Skid Row is doing two nights, the 13th and the 14th. So um, I go on the 14th. Soundgarden is opening. I remember getting Bad Motorfinger that week, like the 7th. I, kind of, I'm like, like, I remember like in preparation almost. Yeah, because I had bought it. And then I'm like, oh, I got to get that. And I just didn't get to it. And I got it like within, I'm pretty sure it was like a week or 10 days. And I, I know I had, man, I'm a fucking big Skid Row fan. And I will tell you that I knew that Skid Row shit cold. But I popped <laughs> in Bad Motorfinger and um, 
bad motor finger for some reason stuck in my car stereo and it would only flip sides it would it could be popped out or else it would get stuck and the tape would start to for some reason like it just didn't oh it actually got stuck in it the actual cassette tape got stuck. <laughs> I thought either so, said, like I had to leave it in there. No, it like physically got stuck. No, I could not take it out. But the classic story of uh, people getting in, in like it yeah. was stuck. Yeah, that that couldn't have happened to us, was, Ethan. <laughs> it could not have. Oh, my internet connection. I thought right that did now. happen to you, song, Chris. I, my Spotify I was buffering. <laughs> I thought it did happen to you, Chris, with the CD in the car. I thought that was the same thing. No, it wasn't anyway. stuck. <clears throat> anyway. Anyway, God, you guys are lucky is my point. So for I remember for that week and then farther on, if I want to take bad motor finger out, I had to get lucky on the pop, on the eject out. Yeah. But it was Jesus Christ pose it would flip and then it would play on the other side. And I would, uh, I think on the other side, it was like searching, right? Because searching my good eye clothes on the cassette is this yes. the top song on the second side. Yes. So Jesus Christ pose is the last song on the first side. So it would flip over in the middle of searching and then it would just automatically flip back to Jesus Christ pose always at the very top of the song. So for months, I think for like two or three months, I didn't try to pop it out because every time I did, I'm like, I'm going to ruin the tape. Right. But that, that time leading up to it, I was drilled on that song and I was drilled on searching. And um, then I would like, I'd heard the, the album like with friends and really knew, I, I felt like I knew the album very well. So I was very excited to see them open for Skid Row. So I have um, very good seats. My dad had to connect at the Aragon through the, the um, production company. Long story short, I was like, Aragon's up here. And I don't know if anyone can see because this is an audio podcast. But there's two um, uh, balconies that are for VIP. And I was watching Skid Row and Soundgarden from up there. So Soundgarden comes out. And the set list which I have in front of me, of course, they open up with searching. Yeah, I think later like on the super unknown tour they open up with jesus christ pose, which i was which freaked me out yeah <laughs> anyway they open up with searching and from there it's nine songs and it's relentless most of the songs are from bad motor finger searching jesus christ pose face pollution gun beyond the wheel rusty cage big dumb sex outshine slays and bulldovers bulldovers so we're talking like 75 percent of the set right is bad right. motor finger from the fast and furious direct support exactly promoting the new record so, so how how old were you and who who were you with 92 i am 16 i don't remember exactly who i was with that show a couple of friends I, like one or two or something one one because it was a plus okay. one yeah nice. i remember i thought it was my friend omar but we we saw megadeth in the same seats like uh in college like when i was okay. back like on Very a break cool. Okay, 16 years it old. It was wild. They're playing all of 70% of Bad Motor Finger. Continue. So here's the thing that I will say. First of all, when you're young and you're seeing shows like this, which is something that you guys regretfully won't experience because you're adults, everyone seems fucking giant. Okay? <laughs> like, people who are famous, people who are, whether it's like, you're seeing someone that you like the first time girl or a guy, whatever the fuck you're into, they see their presence is big and thus their physicality is enhanced, especially when it's, you're a child and it's an adult. So Aragon is a very, like, it's a relatively like very high stage. Um, but of course it's, it's a, it was an old like boxing, uh, right. arena. They used mm -hmm. to have boxing matches there in the sixties and seventies. And I think the eighties until they flipped, it's like more concerts. 
So Chris Cornell, which I didn't realize at the time was actually tall when it's I met tall, him in person tall years guy. later. Tall guy. So he comes out. This dude is climbing the speakers that are on the stage, the PA speakers. There's PAs up and there's PAs that are, you know, at a show that are on the stage. Right. And they, they're huge at Aragon. So they block. If you're on the side and the pit, you can't see either way. Um, and if you're too far over on the balcony, close to the stage, you, you're blocked. So same thing at Irving Plaza. A lot of stages have that. So basically, this guy's crawling the whole time, crawling around. I am like eyes wide. I'm like, you know, and again, when you know the songs and you're seeing an opening band and you've never seen them live and you know what to expect, it's way better. It's yeah. Now, when you see a band, you don't know the songs. And I think the only that's only happened to me like twice. I think it was Gojira that happened in the Wild Hearts where I did not really know the band. And I was like, whoa, this opening band, this direct support band, I'm a fan. It changed my life. It just does not happen for me. But Soundgarden, I knew the tunes. Chris is crawling. And then Slays and Bulldozers at the end, he crawls up to the top of the stack, stage right. I remember it very clearly. And he jumps into the crowd, who at oh this point, God. Was, again, the crowd is all about Skid Row. Right. I'm all about Skid Row. Yeah. <laughs> You're Skid Row guy. You have a shirt think, on. I'm a Skid guy. I did not have a shirt on. But <laughs> I, I know. Oh, that's kind of a burn. But also, like, I, I should have. But um, I was there. And I remember buying a Skid Row shirt. I did not buy a Soundgarden shirt. To be oh, fair. damn. But, oh, man. Yeah, but that's just being honest. And I, and I was so into them, I bought a shirt. I did not. <laughs> but I will tell you that I was so taken with the band. And I, re- I remember opening up the cassette and the back of the CD, which is the same as the liner of paper that goes in the back of the cassette, like this part. Like This is the single soundtrack I'm holding up. No one, if people are watching uh, on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. But right here, it was the picture of the four of them which is the picture in the bad motor finger box set, like the 30 year, 25 okay, year box, set. right? The picture of all four of them. And um, I remember opening it after the fact and being like, I saw those guys, which is like one of the coolest things about uh, the fact that we didn't have the internet. So you saw them and there was a viciousness and a anger, which uh, of course, as I saw them over the years, sort of, dissipated especially when they got back together in 2011 um and reformed you know uh you watch the early videos of them like playing all these festival shows and matt cameron like all that ben is scary kim is kim is really kim which is like anchoring everything down Mm -hmm. um but matt actually more is the anchor but anyway they're also good but there's an anger there that as someone who's listening to like thrash metal and still like cock and glam rock i was like very taken with this new sort of energy so that show again if people want to look up the exact set list again it's february 14th 92 it's skid row headlining with Soundgarden opening at the aragon ballroom in chicago and it was so, just like so I, so the crowd is i'm i'm, I'm guessing the crowd was the, primarily for skid row correct 100 percent. there were okay. not people there to see Soundgarden. did you that feel i remember the- did you feel the energy shift when they were playing? Like, obviously, you've had this awakening. Did the whole crowd have this awakening where it was like, whoa, like, maybe they should play a little longer? Like, was everybody kind of on the same page there, like, once they were going? So that's a great question because it brings me to the point that I didn't really relay, which is at the end of the set, I remember looking at my friend 
and being like, oh, they're pretty good. And I was like, I didn't say it to him at the time because I wasn't um, wise enough to think it um, of the zeitgeist. But I remember going home and being like, a couple of days later, I think, being like, oh, this is the end of glam rock. This yeah. is the, a new era of the Seattle sound. And I witnessed it. And I'm still, I, I'll tell my parents, like, I'm so mad that they didn't go to Woodstock, my parents. I'm so mad that I couldn't have gone to Woodstock. But this is the point in my life when I realized I am in the eye of the hurricane of this new musical movement. And I am present and I'm going to be an eyewitness for all of it. And I've always had that attitude about like, I have to go see the show. But the the glam rock stuff, I saw a lot of it, a ton of it. But compared to like grunge at this point, I've made it a point now like to not miss shows and see all of it because I had been lucky enough to see the shift. And don't get me wrong, Skid Row also came out and they were great. That was, That's a band of all the, a lot of glam rock bands that sh- it's a shame they broke up because remember like Skid Row toured Pantera, great live band, real rock and roll attitude, like punky attitude. They got pigeonholes being a dumb cock rock band. They were great. And with Sebastian there, you know, now Sebastian's not in the band for decades, but it was really, really good. And I still left feeling like Skid, I was here to see Skid Row, but I started to really laser focus on Seattle after yeah. that show. It's, and it's, yes, the, the last part, the crowd, the crowd was, it was a lot of like, they knew this and the, yeah, they knew, they knew, they they knew, knew. because I knew and most people were older <laughs> than me. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. They yeah. Knew. I have to say it's, it's, it's not very often in any area that you're witnessing something in real time and you have a strong enough feeling that you can kind of like get your arms around it, take it in and realize where it's going. And, and to be, you know, in that setting in 92, when, you know, Bad Motor Finger, 10, Nirvana, uh, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind, like they're not even six months old at this point, you know, and, and you can feel the, feel the earth shifting, you know, musically and, and to be able to witness that firsthand and know, like you walk out of, you walk out of the Aragon that night and you, and you know, I mean, it's not often that a band is able to captivate people in that way. And, and, and the sound is, is able to be so new and so just, um, just encapsulating, uh, you know, to anybody who might come across, it, especially in a live setting. I mean, it's one thing, you know, to pick up a CD or right. pick up a tape of Bad Motor Finger, but for me, you know, not having had the experience of being able to see them in '92 or '94, like searching and Slaves and Bulldozers live back in that era, like you said, the aggression, and they had this way that they were able to play, and it sounded so like so drunkenly sloppy but at the same time just dead on and just so aggressive and almost feral um that it's 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 such a special thing and you know i don't know how anybody could watch something like that in real time and not realize that like hey this is special and this is going to change some things well remember this is happening at venues on this tour all over the country right there's other people like me younger maybe not by much but like older who are like there, like in the cock rock glam world and being like, holy shit. And they probably realized that also, you know, that like, oh, this is like a new thing. Oh, yeah. It, this is what they, this is what a band does. Like, I remember Corn opening up for Megadeth on Megadeth's Youth in Asia tour. And I think it was in 94. Um, and it was at the Riviera, which is a venue just across the way from Aragon. And Jonathan Davis comes out playing bagpipes and all the metal guys like, fuck this, fuck this shit. And I'm like, who's this band? And I was like, 
Now, it didn't grab me the same way. I'm not a giant fan of the band to the point where I'm obsessed, but I think Korn actually has created a sound, and I actually think they're quite good, and they did a lot with a little, and they deserve a lot more credit from a musical standpoint as being good players, especially Jonathan Davis, really underrated um, musician. Um, so, But when they came out, he's Jonathan Davis wearing a kilt playing the bagpipes, and I'm like, this is something totally new. I don't know if it's like totally for me. Like I didn't have that switch moment, right. but I knew, and I had a switch moment about like, this is a shift. And this is the next shift for the metal guys, the metal Titans who would go under a little bit then like Metallica, I think load reload around 90 and like mid early mid nineties post black album for Megadeth post rest in peace, all the big thrash, you know, big four bands, Slayer two, anthrax, they were going to go back under and make way for this new metal scene. So I got to witness that um, as well. But to, to have that uh, and to bear witness to that is like the coolest. And I, and I treasure it more and more now. And to be able to tell it on this forum is a reminder to people of like, get there early. See those direct Absolutely. support fans, whoever mm-hmm. it is, get there early. Okay, fine. You can't get there for the first band if there's like two openers. Get there for the direct support. Be there, yeah. if, at least for that, to, to support those bands. And maybe you'll maybe you'll hit a you know there'll be a little uh, a little nugget there, a little mm-hmm. gold nugget there for you to see. And then you get to be privy to that. What a pleasure that was. Yeah, and the um, coolest thing in in 1992, Soundgarden they played 132 shows that year. So it's like you just figure across across the country and across the world, even how many people were walked into a venue saw them that year and walked out and just knew that something was different and that they had, they, they were witness to something that they hadn't seen before. Because I think, you know, after Bad Motor Finger, the band really, really went to new heights and, 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 and they, and they, they harnessed something that was inside of them in such a way that was so just captivating to anybody who saw it at the time. They changed the air in the venue. You know what I mean? They change the fucking air in there. And when that happens, it just looks like it changes the way your blood flows, the way your brain spires. And to do that, to your point of these, you know, 130 plus shows across the world. Now, is it going to happen to everyone there? No. No. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it actually it, ha- it is more significant of a feeling when they're the uh, opener. Um, yes. and or direct support them. Like people going there to headlines sort of know what it is. Or my friend took me to this show. I didn't know. And they were great, but direct support to really have to be remembered and leave an impression like that. Mm-hmm. God damn. Yeah. Well, there, great there's always that element for direct support or opening bands. Like the vast majority of people are obviously there for the headliner. So there's that, like that little bit of time at the beginning of the set where it's like, there's just a collective mood in the crowd of like, all right, let's see Impressive. what you've got. Yeah, like I am like let's let's see what you got. Like I'm here yeah. early because I'm here for my favorite band that's coming on in an hour. Like in, in between then and now, like what do you got? And and for a, for a band to just like and and the set list that they played that night, I mean, they came out guns blazing uh for those nine songs and it's like, you know, hey, you asked to see what we had. This is what we have. And they have yeah. to do that every night. You know yeah. what I mean? Because Every night, that's the thing. These guys don't have a pot to piss in at this point. Right. And they actually do that every night. They don't have Spoon Man. Mm-hmm. They have rock They have rock songs, like hard, right. hard, heavy rock yeah. songs. The Black Hole Sun no music ballads. video doesn't exist yet. That's it. That's a better example. Yeah. They don't have that. And they are out there to prove 
And like, you know, remember all the glam rock bands, you know, people laugh. It's like they tried, they got through and they got broad with their audience with balance, with power balance. Exactly. Yeah, like they the would bridge. draw in the ladies. They would draw in the ladies with like, you know, it's, it's that same thing. Hey, this one's for the ladies. This one's for the chicks. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say it's gendered all day, which it is. But to be more broad, you sometimes have to soften up to appeal to a completely different fan base. And these bands in the grunge era, especially those first albums, I mean, look, Pearl Jam, Jeremy, um, you know, Nirvana smells like team spirit. And then what is it like something in the way, Ollie? I mean, Soundgarden, right. The second record is Black Hole Sun. Spoon Mm. Man is a little more digestible. These guys didn't have any of that shit. And then they have like Gun that they played. Yeah. They played Big Dumb Sex. Yep. You know, Beyond the that. Wheel. And those, yeah. And that is him just at the top of his it's fucking insane. voice. The whole, and he, and I, and you know, he nailed it. I can't go back and be like, oh, did he hit those notes? Like right. I am now. But like, I, I guarantee <laughs> he hit the fucking notes. Yeah. Right. Right. He hit the notes. Yeah. And it was, and it was something. So, yeah. Goddamn. Again, you, you, you brought great. about a really good point too. Like it, it's always, there's a certain uh, perspective that you get when you were there for one show and you're like, holy shit, this is one of the more significant events, but you made up, you made the really good point. These guys were doing this like every other night for a year, you know, years at a time. And it's like, this is just for them to be able to do that night in and night out is physically unbelievably impressive. And, and also just to be able to kind of uh, like, craft that magic consistently um and and put that energy into those songs is something that that you also don't see every day and certainly not every band there's only a few that are able to do something like that yeah what's worse than seeing a direct support band that's young which most of them are right or it's like a resurgent act it's like oh yeah give like oh we're gonna put our old friends this opening to see a young band come in and like even if like they're more static on stage just to like not get it done mm-hmm. to just kind of phone it in mm-hmm. I fucking hate that shit yeah they think that just being, on, just being on the bill is gonna is enough yeah, and it's like yeah, no everybody out Stop it. every everybody out in the crowd is, is thinking the same thing like we are the judges at you know america's got talent yes. basically like <laughs> yes are we the gonna give you the golden is, buzzer i mean that's exactly what it is judge and jury man it's funny yeah, we judge actually judge and jury Chris, at the tribute show, we saw Sebastian Bach came out and played uh, Supernaut and uh, Paranoid with uh, a couple of the guys from, you know, Lars Ulrich. I bet Ulrich he fucking and, killed it. I bet yeah, he killed he, it. He came yeah. out and played a few, so oh yeah, we got a little taste of Skid Row. <laughs> I mean, also, there's Sebastian, there's Sebastian Bach putting a guy like that in modern times and seeing how he comes in and he does not think any time has passed. And he's still in the, like the nineties. Oh yeah, and early eighties. Awesome. He was. It was like a rally. Doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how he knows. But remember, remember, like go look up Moscow Music Peace Festival, and you'll see like Motley Crue, Skid Row, and these guys are sitting there like playing one hundred fifty thousand Russians, right? Who have never had this music there, yeah. And winning, and the crowd is ravenous for them, and then even more enraged by their performances because those guys, the grunge thing, like Nirvana was a great live band all the grunge bands that I liked, I thought were great live, but those eighties guys, they played for the the people all the way. It was very theatrical all the way for the people in the very last row, you know, in the top of the fucking stadium. And they were great. They're great performers, great entertainers. Don't like the music. Fine. You can't take away anything away from there, getting up there and and sweating it out every night. Absolutely. That's good. So moving on the next show that we have down for you, is comes two years later, corrected ninety four. Also, Soundgarden once again. 
also at the same place at the Aragon Ballroom on uh, June 11th, 1994, correct? That's correct. So two years have so, passed. Some some buildup has come has has came and gone. Um, what was the friend group? What was your friend group talking about during this time? What did was everybody on the same page about it? Were you guys like head over heels into them and like anticipating next time they're coming around type of thing? Or what was the buzz? Absolutely, I was definitely the ringleader. I can <laughs> say that now. I remember '93 we did Lollapalooza. And it was Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys, That's sweet. like Luscious Jackson. I think L7. Yep, I believe um, you're right. Yep. I think it was L7, Breeders as well. And um, I remember we all went to that show. And I think a friend of mine had gotten tickets. Um, one of the rare times that like one of my other friends got tickets was always me. This is remember <laughs> the days of wait, waiting in line. And, I like, know. Master for I don't tickets. know what that's like. Yeah. Dude, like yeah. waiting in line like. The last yeah. show I waited in line for tickets was them crooked vultures at the Roxy because yeah. I didn't know anyone. You know, oh, that's the yeah. kind of spoiled dick I am. I, was like, <laughs> I guess I'll wait in line for this. Yeah, like, with I'm, all the I other commoners. <laughs> I know I'm spoiled, but I admit it. And also, but like I think about the just to be fair, I think about the amount of money that I spent and I still do like buy merch and stuff. Yeah. If you get into a show free and it's a smaller band, you should always buy merch. Yeah. Um, if you get free tickets. But I would just say that, like, I was really making the effort. And in 93, this kid, basically a bunch of us went and then pumpkins come on. So everything, everyone's cool. We're all getting along. It's like four or five of us. And um, people I know were sitting like the 10th row at the World Music Theater. And they left like, we're going to leave. We have to, like, get back. Oh, man. And there was like, they're like, you can take our seats. And I looked at my friends and, they're, and they were very, like, herd mentality. Like, no one was going. I go, I'm not going to miss seeing Smashing Pumpkins in the 10th row. Right. <laughs> and I think I went by myself. Hell yeah. Because I, and you know what? It wasn't very cool. It wasn't very bro code. And I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And I was someone who was very concerned about what people thought of me in that time. And I didn't want people to be mad at me. And I'm still that kind of person where I'm just like, don't, I want you to like me. Don't be upset. But I didn't even think twice. And I watched them do their Siamese Dream era tour set from the 10th row. And I still remember Billy Corgan like wearing those shirts, like hand up right in the front. And you know what? No one fucking talked to me on the entire drive home. I didn't give a fuck again. They were yeah. mad. I felt bad. I, I say, yeah. I, oh, it'd be happy for your friend that had this incredible yeah. experience. But not in I, high know, school. it's different. Yeah, not in high school. You're this right. Is junior year, I Little think. Petty, like, yeah. Sophomore. Yeah, and um, they. I was definitely like ignored, and like also it just cemented the fact that I did my own thing. Right. And at the time felt shitty, but I also was smart and mature enough to know I didn't care. And I wasn't going to, you know, that was like the rebel in me where I was like, hey, so it was like, I was like the apologist rebel. Yeah. Hey, sorry, but like, I'm not missing this. Yeah. But like, also like, if, if you're going to ruffle some Fuck feathers. Fuck you, I do it again. Yeah. If you're going to ruffle some feathers, like it's worth ruffling the feathers to see the Smashing Pumpkins in the 10th row in 93. It was old. Siamese Dream was everything. Yeah. Like, that album was everything. That was like the movie. And I was like. I was, we were like 25th row in like the world, a big amphith outdoor amphitheater, bad sound. I was like, I got up there and I was like, whole different this, concert. This is heavenly. Whole different so concert. So fast yeah. forward, absolutely. And I, again, sorry to those guys. Not sorry. So 94, June, Soundgarden's there. I know we're on summer, summer break. I was definitely like working at home and being around. And I know my friend Simon is there because we were talking about it today because I called him to get a little prep. 
I know that I had smoked a lot of marijuana. Nice. That was one of our questions. That was one of our questions. What drugs? What drugs and how much were you on for these shows? <laughs> Only weed. Yeah. Nice. Only. Like I was not a big I drank, but mm. I didn't care about drinking in high school. I drank a little bit more. I drank in college, but rare, like to get drunk, it was only about getting high and only with weed. Very, very, but like we smoked weed the the way um, uh, in high school and college, the way that frat guy, more so in college, the way that frat guys were competitive with beer. That makes perfect sense. Like very into like, and that was much in college, it was more competitive, but high during the day. Like, you know, in, in high school all the time, a couple times a week, I get picked up in the morning, listening to Primus, listening to Sailing the Seas. <laughs> right on, hot, yes. Smoking, John the Fisherman smoking we weed. Uh, that, oh, absolutely. At 740, am I going to be late having Visine in my pocket? I mean, I know, and I don't think it's, I'm not proud of it. I think it was, I told my parents, I think they were disappointed. But at the same time, like, I navigated it fine. Right. It was all good. But yes, very, very high at the show. I I um I want to say that my my <laughs> biggest visual memory is Chris Cornell now with short hair. Yeah, he chopped the hair. Unknown era. This time, yep. Just sitting there under a single light, I was very focused on Chris for the show. Um, and I remember I had to go to the back of the Aragon and the general. It's all general mission the Aragon, everything except for those VIP balcony. And I had to sit down with my head in my hands, just listening to him, like really taking him in, not in like a, I'm so highway, but I'm like oh I don't feel great way. And um, Simon, I think, called me blackout, but I hadn't drank. I was just like too high yeah. and I was too in my own element. Like overstimulated. So I, the way I process, yeah. And the way I processed the show wasn't as clear as I would have wanted to. And there was someone else there who is now actually uh, one of my peers who is now actually um, pretty famous, who I will tell you offline about, who was very fucked up and very chatty and like too much. Um, great guy, you know, a nice guy, but like, it, I remember that night, like him and Chris on different Cornell. wavelengths. I was like, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. But, um, that show to me was the biggest difference is the obvious one is that everyone was there to see Soundgarden. Right. Everybody. Cause know. Black Hole Sun was the thing. And remember it's two nights. So it's the 11th. Uh, and I believe the 12th. Um, and I went the first night cause I was always first night because it was always like, you know, now I know that like they always have the second night to see um, once the first show sells out, like we had a second night due to popular demand. Yeah. But of course, I was a guy, the second the, the show would go on sale, I would have to have tickets, yeah, tickets to the first to the one. First night. I was never a second night person. It's like, it. oh, fuck, I missed it. <clears throat> Those are all my friends. Oh, maybe I go the second night. I'm like Nirvana, too, which we'll talk about later uh, at the Aragon did two nights. Same thing. I'm like, I went the first night because uh, I wasn't I didn't have money to go two nights in a row. And the first night was the first night, but okay. So let's just talk about this set. Why don't you guys, why don't you guys talk about the set list a little bit? Because yeah. again, I'm still seeing like a very, very healthy amount of bad motor finger. Totally. And now they're, we were getting away from the flowery P from um, louder than love, you know, from the earlier stuff. Right. Um, you can tell they're like kind of sick of it. 
Yeah. So the, in, in in this show on on June the 11th, that's that's just over a month after Super Unknown had come out, um, and I believe the uh, the Black Hole Sun music video had been released earlier that month in June. So like, Super Unknown is is very very fresh, and you know to have the opportunity, like okay, like this record just came out. You know, I'm not very might not be as acquainted with these songs as I as I would be otherwise because they're so new. Um, and you know, the, as you said, there's still a very heavy diet. You know, of of bad motor finger in here because i think you know when i think of soundgarden like that is that's who they are to me like they are bad motor finger era like that is like the ethos that they portrayed at the time that's That's, interesting for me that's 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 that's, that's the one for me yeah that's the one for me but i mean you've you've already got on here you've got some of the favorites from super unknown and um the day i tried to live one that i know kim has said like it was always kind of a live favorite and commercially like it didn't do that well and i know when they had reunited that had become you know one of their more popular songs that one's in there black hole sun really you know to to take it in at a time where it doesn't have the legacy that it does now because it was so new at the time mm-hmm. you know a lot of these songs fell on black days as well as in there like suicide we've got kickstand uh my wave as well mailman uh you know there are a lot of really fantastic songs spoon here from man. super unknown spoon man oh look so when you look at the songs again yes a lot from bad motor finger but it's the it's the weird ones off Super Unknown too. Yeah. Half, mm-hmm. half. Um. Uh, uh. Like yeah, like Suicide. My My Way was a single. Um. My Way was a single. Spoon Man was a single. Um. I and then um, Fell in Black Days. Which is here, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, half half is weird. It's really um, weird. Kickstand also. Kickstand is super unknown. And that's yep. that's like a that's an ass kicker. That's like a punk song, right? Um, head down and limo wreck to close. I was just yeah. gonna say that, that that is the most intriguing thing for me about this set list is are, are the final two songs here. Head head down into limo wreck to end, um, not what you would expect. Um, but then again, when the record's so new, it's like you know what what should you expect at this time? But looking back, this is like the hindsight thing, you know, like hey, like this is what they're ending with. They're not ending with uh, you know. Um, slaves and bulldozers, for example, they're ending with you know these two songs that <laughs> your, your casual fans might not even know. Let's unpack this a little deeper. As far as forget that, like yeah. it's not even like closing with Jesus. Opening up with Jesus Christ pose is a weird song to open to. Yeah, just speaking as someone who wants to get like you want to make sure like your levels are good when you come out. And they'll, you yeah. know the first song you see someone like they're giving yeah talking like up and down, guys about yeah. up down because the first song is a limit of Jesus Christ poses all feedback. It's a mess. If, and yeah. remember, these guys probably there are no in ears in '94. Right. Yeah. So I think these guys are like, and the Aragon is notoriously muddy sound. So, and they've definitely played here before. They know. Right. So, to come out with that song is ballsy, and it's super aggressive. You're not warm. I mean, you're no. warm. You've worn, assuming you're a musician, you warmed up, and then um, Spoon Man going, okay, fine. But let's fast forward to these last two songs. Again, they aren't songs that are known. Smashing Pumpkins closed with Silverfuck. Queens of Stone Age closed with Song for the Dead. You know, like there are these songs like Soundgarden could have easily closed with Rusty Cage, something from the last album, or Jesus Christ was actually makes a lot more sense. Totally. Unless it's an endurance thing or it's a tuning thing. Who the fuck knows? But to close with these two like brutal, heavy songs. Is also like a fuck you to the audience, yeah. Kind of, which I kind of love. Fuck you to the new fans, yeah. Hell yeah, it's like I love it. Like I don't know what the thinking is, 
that's like I might like try if to any. find out and ask if I ever talk to Matt and like ask him, be like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking fun. when you want to close it? Like, I love it. I love it because I'm the guy who's always like, dude, play the heavy shit. Yeah. I'm a metal. That's right. You guys know me. I'm a, I'm a big metal brute. Iron Maiden in the back. I always, hell yeah. Look at that. Oh, that's beautiful. That thing is beautiful. Oh, which shoulder is mine? Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so that is a real, that is like a real punk rock fuck you. Also a fuck you to our success, which is very mainstream right now. They're playing, I think at this point, Black Hole Sun is out. They're playing it all the time. Yeah. They, um, you know what I mean? Like, let me, uh, what was the first, was the first single, Let Me Drown is the first track on the album, but is, what's the first, is My Wave? I think it was single? My, I think it was My Wave. I think it is too. It's not Spoon Man. I think it's like My Wave Spoon it Man. Was, uh, it actually it, it was Spoon Man Day I Tried to Live Black Hole Sun then My Wave actually. My Wave is last. Okay, yeah. so I could use it with Day I Tried to Live. So I'm sorry, Day I Tried to Live Spoon Man Black, Black Hole, Hole Sun, Sun My Wave My Wave. That's crazy. Yeah, they saved it. They're like, all right, well let's get and then Black Hole Sun. Took them into like TRL category. Right. And that's the thing. Like, this is before like they're the band that did Black Hole Sun to like your casual, you know, middle whatever, middle America person. Like they, they just became the, the guy the people with the really trippy music video. Um, yes. So what Metal people... is holding them close, right, at this time. Right. Metal is the one Headbangers Ball, they're the ones who are like, This is our band. Right. We don't know if we accept it as a metal community, but this is our thing. Mm-hmm. So, so were the, were the people still? Were, did, I mean, they wanted to hear the new stuff. Were they waiting for Black Hole Sun, or were they, or were they waiting for you know Rusty Cage or something? Like, were they still pretty heavy, or were they into yes, the psychedelic, you know, kind of rock that they were given? Like, think about that. Well, here's the thing: think about them playing half. That's Ben. Ben is singing that song. Right. Exactly. Right? Uh, yeah. So what the fuck is that? And so <laughs> when, also remember, they got they got rid of. Black Hole Sun. Look at all. Let's look at my way of day. I try to live. Mailman. We kind of. That's another weird one from Superman. Yeah, Let love, me drop Spoon Man. They Rusty Cage. They got rid of all their singles. The top half of the set. Yeah. And by they the, just turned and them by out. The time, no, yes, let's get through done. this. So, but, exactly. So, so Ben the, can sing. Super unknown. Ben, you're up. <laughs> so after the eleventh song is Rusty Cage, and then there are. 10 more songs. The yeah. last 10 songs are Half, Half Mind Riot, Fell on Black Days, Drawing Fight, Hands All Over, Kickstand, Kick Face Pollution, Like Suicide, Head Down Low. There's not one single except for um, Fell on Black Days. Yeah. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. That's yeah. a fuck you. I have to, I have to find out more it's about total, that. And it's totally <laughs> this, opposite of what, what bands do. Obviously, they save the stuff so people don't leave. They weren't worried about that at all. They wanted. They played. What? You're like, hey, if you guys want to get out of here, we'll give you the good stuff, and then we're playing to the fans at the end, which is badass. That's badass. And they're at the. I don't know if this is the height of their popularity, but I'm. I'm pretty sure it is because when I saw them, and uh, this is one I didn't talk about because I. I saw them again in '96. Okay. On the Lollapalooza tour with Ramones. Oh. And yeah. I think it's Metallica. Ramones Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. And that and was the last the touring that they Metallica's did before they broken up. Yes. Well, yeah, because that's down on the Upside Tour. Right. Correct. That's exactly correct. And that show, I don't remember much about every, anyone's set list because it was like, I don't do well in the heat. It was like Randall's Island in New York. Oh, I was man, yeah. Ca- 
at K-Rock um, as an internship. Um, and I just finished my freshman year of college. So I was in New York City. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was that weird time where Metallica was doing, you know, load, reload. And the Ramones are having like their last resurgence. This is 96. And Soundgarden is like, oh, like, oh, here comes another Soundgarden album. Oh, it's fucking just as good, if not better and weirder than Super Unknown. Much it's a total weirder. evolution. Yeah. It's weird and it's great. And it's like, and then it was over. So um, I'm desperate. I got to go back and look at that. Then we'll offline about that too, about like how that set list was um, compared to this. But holy shit, this is a fucking case study yeah. in <laughs> how to be badass for like this. This is like a set that was like made for me and like, right, and yeah. like the heavier fans, the yeah. heavier, weirder fans. So God bless. Yeah, I so, love that. Sorry, it was so wasted during the show. <laughs> it's always interesting, like bands and, and and artists deal with their success, and 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 they they provide commentary on their success in different ways. And I, I can't help but feel like this is uh this is a form of commentary about their success and about where people wanted to take them and what space they might have wanted right. the band to inhabit. And they're like, you know what? If you're coming to see us live and you're expecting you know this that and the other, like we're not going to give you any of that. Like we're gonna dispense with it at the beginning and then we're just going to do whatever we want to do because this is our show and it's on our terms right that's what ethan was saying like let's just get out of the way and yeah. move on to this shit mm-hmm. so ben can sing and we can do like all this <laughs> yeah. like fuck yes but like that to me i think now it'll be interesting now when we go to our next show right because there's a lot of is, years in between uh, a lot of years now we literally 20, fast 18 years this is cr- that's is that real because then matt did Pearl Jam. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's Matt was. Can we just confirm? Can we confirm that the breakup is 90? When is the breakup? I think it was February of 1997. They had finished their tour. Um, I think their last show was in Hawaii or something um, for down on the upside. And then they had broken up early 1997. They had broken up. And then they announce they come back with telephantasm and they and. um, Right. Is that it? Like. I'm just confused because like when Black Rain comes out, right. they release Black Rain as a single mm-hmm. on the Telephantasm. And I remember being like, and they played Conan. Yes. Like I was living yes. in the, I just moved I've to New York. Before. I had just moved to New York when that song came out. And that Black Rain is a um, Bad Motor Finger B-side. Right. It was recorded during the Bad Motor Finger time. Mm-hmm. So then they play that song Conan. Remember, Chris Cornell's done the audio slave thing, the solo thing. He's like right. cut his hair. That thing with Timbaland that he did. Oh my God, we're all like, if you, if I could take Ethan and Chris and bring them back with me and be like, yo, look what Chris has done. And like, look what he's doing now. Yeah. Like I was, I remember I was sitting there, I was sitting there with my, it's my ex-wife. I was sitting there and I was like, I remember saying to her, like, I go, this is going to be like, I remember I DVR'd it, the Conan and they came out and did it that weird set, like in LA and Chris's voice I was like, his hair was long again. He looked like he had been reincarnated as Chris Cornell. Mm. Go back and everyone watch that. It's it's twenty. Yeah. I think it's is it twenty. When I think is it was it? twenty late twenty ten maybe somewhere around there because they got back together. I think they announced that they were getting back together. I believe on New Year's Day twenty ten. Yes. New wow. Year's Day twenty ten. They and and and, so and how years. different the world is. They announced it on Twitter. They 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 tweeted it. In 2010, they said the 12-year break is over and school is back in session. Sign up now. Knights of the Sound Table ride again. God bless them. Incredible. God. Incredible. That's fucking awesome. And, and 
when you go back and see him hit that note in Black Rain, the guy you have to remember this is these are not easy notes to hit. No. Anytime you hear Chris Cornell, you look at old footage like, and then when he came back and he was more screamy, he's still power, but like it's it, it's like an asking like you know an opera singer to hit those notes. Even the best ones have to cap themselves, mm-hmm. and um, he still did it in a way where I was like. And I remember turning and saying, Chris Cornell sold his soul to the devil to have another run. He sold his soul to the devil to be able to be able to perform at this level and mm. come back and do it again. And I remember saying that exact thing because I couldn't believe how good it was. Black Rain on Conan. So go look that one up. Yeah, okay, so let's go back to this. November of 2010, they went on Conan. And I have to say, like, I just like talking about what we were talking about earlier, like hearing these stories, like I honestly just kind of got chills just hearing about that experience of watching that in real time and be like, holy fucking shit. Like he's he's back. There there it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a guy. I know that. (laughs) Bands like that now that are coming back and having this like nostalgia run where they basically turn to classic rock. It's happening to like my girlfriend's bands like she's like a blink 182 person because she mm-hmm. she was in high school right junior high maybe that was everything to them oh yeah uh, and 100%. now we went, we went to go see we went to go see blink and um how were they uh it was great i i don't know you can't ask me because i'm sitting here coming off as like this professional motherfucker about a certain area it's like and if i don't have that level of professionalism i don't want to relay it it doesn't matter what i think because it's not for me I was there to see uh, turn to see Turnstile, who I think is great. Oh, but yeah. Blink, I have big respect for, and there's a lot of songs there. But to 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 her, it was like it was there. Oh, we've been away for a while. We broke up. Now we're getting back together. However many years it was, and Soundgarden was doing this as like for a much longer time, where these guys are now really they're older. Yeah, they've all been doing their own thing. You know, um, Kim and Ben are on the sidelines, kind of. Right. You no. Know, um, and, you know, Matt is doing Pearl Jam. Chris mm-hmm. is solo and audio slave. And then they come back with this. Um, they play the forum. I'm This one, I'm living in L.A. I didn't move to, uh, back to New York until 2013. So this is at the forum in L.A. It's um, June, July 22nd, 2011. So you guys, please. Let's give me your initial thoughts on this set. Yeah, and 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 I can only imagine um, for a Soundgarden fan the anticipation after all these years, and especially with you having the the first time you had seen them was 1992. I mean, that's a good amount of years between then and, and this show in 2011. And I can only imagine the anticipation. Once again, people are there for Soundgarden. People are there because they saw Soundgarden on Conan. They're like, holy fuck. Like the boys are back and it's still, it's still mint. Like they are still able to do um, what made me fall in love with them. And, and, and for me, once again, I mean, I always, I love the videos and I'll go back and watch concert after concert, you know, there's, so, there's a hush over the crowd and then like the, 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 the sound is building and then searching comes on and, and they play, they play that opening that's on the album that where the guy's talking like, this is my good eye. And then the band members come out one by one and Chris comes, comes out right, just right in time for the beginning of the song. Um, I mean, and, and once again, like the, and the, after that, like they're off and running, they're off and running, you know, searching spoon, man, gun, Jesus Christ pose room a thousand years wide to get us going here. Um, I mean, that I right from the that jump. Is a, that's a lot. That's a lot to come out. Yeah. That's a lot to come out with. I mean, um, the whole set list. Like, oh, because- and then, yeah, I mean, continuing the blow up the outside world, loud love, big dumb sex, ugly truth, fell on black days. Like, 
That's a great first half. <clears throat> they're really they're yeah, the other thing you have to remember is the new album isn't out yet. King Animal's right. not out yet. No, that was twenty twelve. So they're not doing right. So they're not doing anything from the new that new album. But King Animal to me is just as good as any of their other records. Yeah. I think it's fucking great. And I mm-hmm. think it holds up and it's awesome. But um Burden in My Hand, also super unknown. There's a thousand it's fucking later. like active rock singles wait burn in my hand is down, down on the upside. upside yep down on the upside yeah, that one's I, on I, there for there's me. so many songs on super unknown though, <laughs> like yeah that. yeah it's like you almost forget like I'll, I'll listen to it front to back and be like holy shit like i forgot this this is still going like and yes <laughs> it just rolls but and when rolls you think about rolls. so many songs but this is basic this is an old school this is a great set Searching to open with and super unknown to close, which I think is one of the best guitar riffs in fucking rock history. Oh, Mike, yeah. It says Mike McCready was on that. Uh, he came out on stage. Vaguely remember that. Vaguely. <laughs> and that and I have to say, though? out of the um, out yeah. of the shows that you've seen, so this is this is the third one that we've spoken about today. The first time we get to talk about Fourth of July, which for me, I mean. Soundgarden, Fourth Final of July, song. that just apocalyptic, sludgy riff. You know, last song before the encore. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. That's insane. They could have left on that, but then look at the right. encore. I know. Beyond Big the encore. wheel, hunted down. He saves Beyond the Wheel for the encore. It. Like Chris Cornell has been singing his ass off for an hour and forty-five minutes. takes takes a three-minute break, maybe a sip of water, and he gets out and starts the encore with Beyond the Wheel. I mean, that to me is just like you said. The man sold his soul to the devil to return to what he was able to do twenty years prior. I don't. I don't know how you, it was any other deal that was made. I just like, <laughs> how do you come back and do that? And, mm-hmm. and slaves and bulldozers is relentless. It's these songs are fucking relentless. Yeah. Like, here's the bottom line. Me, me. I remember being there. I remember being on the floor. It was a great show. I don't have like too many memories. It wasn't like the, I wasn't like the best time in my life, Yeah. but I just remember being so excited to be there and definitely like having no connections and getting tickets i don't know how i got them but i know i procured them myself but i just remember that thing i was talking about they weren't going through the motions but that's when i this era is when i started to realize that these bands are back and that's great yeah but the the passion and anger that 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 is the the fuel of youth is not here right and it's not they're cashing in but like it's a different thing i'm older they're older and this is the thing about an audience that grows and stays with the band as the band continues on but also grows older too but like this set list is i don't know how it gets much i don't know what else you could want if you're an old school fan yeah exactly this you know is I mean? just kind of also, like a crew yeah soundgarden doesn't have like leams oh they're gonna play black hole sun yeah okay that song's just overplayed which is mm-hmm. normal but there's nothing else that's the thing about soundgarden grunge like pearl jam's been around longer and they like they went a different way right and it's a different thing but like nirvana too like endless nameless when we get to that stuff oh my god it's got to do another time but i will say that this this is the kind of band where it's like they can't pick a set list that's lame yeah you know and, what i mean yeah and and in their discography possible. they also don't really have songs that like all right like let me catch my breath real quick like let's just like get an easy one out there so like we can all like take a deep breath and like get through this one and for, right. for like the next big thing like it's just go 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 and the thing for me like 
as impressive as it is to see them in the, when they're in their late twenties and, and maybe you know just turning thirty in ninety four or so. I mean, the, the fact these guys are in their late forties, some of them fifty, fifty plus, and that they're able to turn in a performance like that and and. And because like the, the youthful energy and the anger, obviously, like you, you cannot recreate that. Like, um, like it's like the who in their seventies, like singing, uh, Baba O'Reilly, like, you know, they're all wasted. Like it just, it, it feels a little <laughs> hollow at that point, you know? Um, but it's like, so imba- it's like three eleven talking about like, yeah, smoking like, time bud and stuff. And like, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Exactly. And, and like to be able to return to these songs that so much of what made those songs great was that visceral anger from from their 20s uh and to be able to return to them and and put them on in a way that it doesn't feel hollow or kind of like a bit um is something that's really impressive to me mm-hmm. it's so it's so crazy that you know even like rage watching rage do it and rage yeah. is like oh is this gonna age well and i went to see them twice on that tour yeah oh it aged well yeah and the performance was really you got a singer who's like you know with a broken foot whoever singing yeah. on a box those were the msg like, shows oh, this- right I saw MSG. I saw just one of them because we were out of town. Okay. Um, that's actually where I got COVID. Funny uh, personal story. Kate culprit. and I both got COVID. Yeah, we both got COVID at that show. At a um, rage shout show. Out Brad Coincidence. Wilk. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Brad. And then, um, and then uh, I saw it in a couple weeks before in um, Toronto. And it was, I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And I was like, whoa. Way cooler than Ferocious. you thought. And I, nev- I had never seen them. Yes. Totally. Yeah, Chris 100%. and I, uh, we talk about how bands change over the years that we've seen them. Maybe 10 years difference um, is the longest oh. gap that we've seen. Like, uh, we like the Front Bottoms a lot. And uh, Dirty Heads is another band I saw in around 2012, 2013, a bunch of times. Or 21 Pilots, I saw them a bunch. And I said the Front Bottoms. And so 10 years later, uh, still playing, making music, but differently. And um, each one of those singers, you know, had a special place for me back then. And then you grow old with them so you know what did what did chris mean to you for that first 92 to 94 right like what kind of person like was he like idolized in a certain way and what did you love about him and his songwriting and then you see him 20 years later so you get to see him grow all of his you know the social media wasn't as big or but you follow the storyline of his life um through the music you know Talk about the difference and like, you know, were you like, I'm usually like, I'm, I'm like proud to see them go different ways, you know, and for the casual fan, a lot of times like Pearl Jam or when, or Mumford and Sons, when they went like a total different direction with their music, where it's like, I hate that. But then like, at the end of the day, like, what do they, you know, what are they supposed to do? You know, keep playing the same stuff. You like, you like seeing them do different and explore. So there's just some examples, but for you, like Chris Cornell specifically seeing him 25, you know, 20 years, 25 years difference, like were you just as excited did he mean the same thing did he did he grow as like uh you know your admiration for him or like how does how does that effect come in the the thing about the thing about chris is the thing where is um sort of when you're younger you don't realize you think that like oh the vocalist doesn't write anything they just sing maybe they write the lyrics but they don't write the songs and remember chris bad motor finger he did, but it wasn't as on, on as many songs. He didn't have his guitar um, with him as right. much. Super unknown. He started really like play second guitar. Yeah, and um, I think to me that sort of started to happen, where it's like the idea of a front man was much more flamboyant, 
boisterous thing when I was, you know, with glam rock and then metal competing, where it was an intimidating thing for the audience. And then grunge, I think, bridged those gaps and did both, right? Chris did both. And Kurt did both. And Eddie definitely did both. And Eddie, I remember, didn't play guitar until like later, later. Right, yeah, like even po- you know, like he, post-96, like not even during No Code, like Yield, he starts picking it up. Late 90s. Yeah. Right, like that's the thing. You don't think about Eddie with a guitar. And then once they, in the beginning, I think, oh, they get a guitar. Now now they're just jealous. Now they like want to show they can play an instrument. Yeah. But really, it's about the sound evolving. I'm sure there's some ego in it. But like Soundgarden was like um, a chaotic band sonically. You know, um, right. Those sludgy sounds sonically. Yeah, Nirvana was too um, mud honey, m- more organized, but it was more just like a specific the the original, the pioneering grunge sound, right? The big muff sound mm-hmm. that you know really doesn't get enough credit. Um, which really, if you talk about the sound of Seattle, is really mud honey. Is right? mud honey? We exactly. all know. We all know that. Yeah, we and that's do. a band I saw many, many times, and a band that opened up. I saw them headlining. Emergency I've seen them recently. I saw. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, let's switch. Let's switch gears. <laughs> yeah. Forget Mud Honey. Mud Honey. <laughs> I looked at my tickets too from them. I saw them. A but look at this. Here, Mud Honey. Nine Saturday, nineteen ninety three at the Metro, which is them headlining, with Super Suckers opening. That's ninety three. Mud Honey again at the Metro in ninety five, headlining with Claw Hammer. Um, wow. And then I saw them opening up for Nirvana at the Aragon oh, at the show in the 93 show. And I saw them again in San Diego opening up for Nirvana two months later. And then I've seen them a couple of times since then in the two thousands. And I saw them here um, pre pandemic. I saw them wow. headlining at Warsaw and yeah. they're still great. Yeah. They're still really good. They Mark sounds great. Like, yep. but it's that thing where, you know, Mark always played guitar, Mark arm and Mark without a guitar is actually weird. Like yeah, it's Mark, gotta be strange. I've seen, like it's weird. Yeah, but he's done it, and I've seen mm-hmm. him without a guitar when he jumps on stage with other people. I saw him do something, and it's like, here comes Mark from Sub Pop, you know? And yeah, he's there, exactly. Like, he rules. Here he comes. Like, and it's like all the videos of him like packing records at Sub Pop, and then him being Mark Arm and being yeah. like Jesus, so cool. So the frontman thing, Chris. Chris to me, you know, I just want to say like when Chris passed. I had so many, I had two other major life events that were fucking bad yeah. happened to me at the exact, within a few weeks. And it started with Chris and then so, then the two personal events that happened to me within, it was all within like three weeks, Wow, three, four weeks. Hmm. And they're the worst personal, you know, it rains people of pass, yeah. animals pass. Yeah. All of it. And people split up and, and, and relationships come and go on all the levels of friends and partners, yeah. um, bands, whatever it is. But all, when all those things combine at once, like I don't think I realized Kurt died so young when I was in high school. And I remember exactly where I was. But when Chris died, I was a fully functioning adult. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because remember, our generation lost so many people, right. starting with, you know, Andrew Wood. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was sad, but like it wasn't Kurt. It wasn't Kurt. It wasn't Lane. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, shit, now we're losing. And then losing Chris is like, you know, 2017 was like 
dark and then Lanigan, like crazy, mm-hmm. all these people. So when you think about that, when you ask what does Chris mean, like you don't realize what these people mean to you until they go. Yeah. You know, Bowie, Prince, okay, iconic, legendary mm-hmm. goat status, whatever you want. Big, now these are big, important people to me. These are super, but they don't have a place in my heart the way that the these icons of grunge and my generation and, and music to be more more broad in general and art to be the most broad and most accurate live. You know, and they live there permanently. And that one took me down. Chris took me down badly. Lanigan yeah. was close and yeah. Lane again was too I was too I was too shocked by that. But like our generation, like we're not going to see these guys do their thing in their late age. So to have gotten to see Chris do that, um, to, to have gotten to see him do that then and to see all these iterations of him culminating with, I think the last show I saw. It's the Hyde was Park the July, show, right? I think so. July 2014, Hyde Park. Now, I saw Chris. I met Chris twice. No, I saw him do to the Temple of the Dog show. Oh, okay. In 2016. Temple of the Dog show. Yes. And then I saw him when he played on Fallon, The Promise, his okay. last, I think that was his last live solo thing. I believe And then so. we know his last live Soundgarden show right. was Detroit. Yeah, at the at the Fox in Detroit the night before, or the night right. of, rather. So I met him, Temple of the Dog, Matt, by way of Matt. And then I met him again at Fallon, where he had family there, and he was lovely and joyous and so friendly and, and great spirits. And um, I got weird when I met Chris. I got on. I was like that thing where I have a couple of guys where I'm usually very good with speaking because that because that's like that's your job. That's your day to day. I mean, people are coming and going all the time. Yeah. I don't know if Matt knows. I was like very like, hey man, cool. Nice to meet you. I see you. I was better at Fallon. Yeah. But when I met him at Temple of the Dog, I had a couple of drinks and I was shy, or I was like. Forgot how tall he was. Ninety-two. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you're God. really tall. <laughs> <laughs> really tall. I mean, people telling me that my whole life. You know, I'm six four. Right. And um, but when you see someone else who's like tall, but then takes up all the oxygen in the room with their, that positive dark vibe that he has, mm-hmm. uh, and he's there with his family. I just like anyway, a little off tangent, but I will just say that to your question, like what he means to me is a lot more than I ever thought until these guys pass yeah. these strangers slash lucky enough to like have a moment or two with them when i met them over the years yeah mm-hmm. through my so job or random thing so it's probably safe to say that when 20 years go by and you get to see him again like it's just pure like elation like you're just like happy to, like you're happy to be there again like this is this is rewarding yes. i get you, you get that you were there the start you've seen him kind of go and like they're still killing it and you're just like Fuck yes. Like this is like, that's yes, how but, I feel. So I'm just like, you know what I mean? I'm just but like, one more go. thing to that. If you're pumped up, I get it. Like, that's great. But the other thing is, especially when you guys have been doing this for a long time now, a couple of years, the one thing I'll tell you is to see them and why, this is why it's so sad when these guys pass and the band stop or the bands like are fighting and like, they won't get back together. Um, the thing I'll say is it validates their popularity that it wasn't just like a passing fad oh, yeah. or an era of time. It validates not just like that, like, holy shit. It's just like, hey, I had fucking good taste. 
and the pop music, which is what it is, because it's pop, pop is popular. Right. Right. So the popular music of my time wasn't some throwaway bullshit thing. It was a real thing made between these four people with it that created an electricity between their brains and a producer or whatever else what it was, giving everyone credit here, but like it it cemented them in a place of history that shows that I had good taste and I got to experience in its prime and also the fact that they're still going on and doing it and there's longevity to this. This has, this is gonna stay this is gonna stay in, in the archives of modern art, musical art. Absolutely. And we got to be there for it. So and you guys are touching you're still there's still plenty of bands out there. Oh, yeah. You can still see there's still do that still have it. L seven, Mud Honey, Chains, you know, like um, and of course Pearl Jam right. that are still out there, you know, and it's like every time you lose one though, for whatever reason, that is a real loss, especially when it's too soon. Yeah. And this 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 too soon thing is not cute, it's not no. romantic, it's a shame. And because people are still creating great art as they yeah. age. Exactly. And, 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 and that's the thing just very briefly, like, uh, when, when Lanigan passed away, I mean, like I fucking loved everything that he did and he was, he did. was, he was so like his, his work capacity was unbelievable. I mean, up until the end, he was just churning out record after record. He was books, poetry, you name it, everything. And it's one of those things like something like him and a lot of these guys who struggled with various things and, and lived hard. It's like, okay, well they made it through horrible things in their past before so you just think like all right they're good now like they're gonna grow old and they're gonna keep making stuff and i'm gonna be able yeah. to see them and then you know you check your phone one afternoon and, and and you get the news that you're not gonna be able to see them or you wake up and you get the devastating news that you know chris cornell's not with us anymore and it really it, it changes it, it changes kind of the way that the the the, the, the earth feels underneath your feet when when, when you've gotten right. so much from these artists especially if you're leaning on them for emotional support which is what music is right yeah and now the problem is you know a little bit too much about everyone mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of mystery so it is funny it is funny to see like you know um you know your your heroes of your youth who inspired you to like to know their politics or to see like their hobbies right. or to see them just age and there's nothing wrong with it it's very human it's a common experience but it is something that is like, I never thought everything was such a fucking mystery back then. Yeah. You didn't know what the set list was going to be. You didn't know like until the curtain opened. Yeah. And I really missed that part. My girlfriend is very into the set list. I am very into the set list too. Now I used to try to play ages. Like, I don't want to see it. And sometimes I do get like that, mm -hmm. but why wouldn't I, I want to yeah. know what the set's going to be. I want to know like when to get a beer. Right. You know, I want to know if I should even <laughs> fucking go. Yeah. You know what cheat I mean, cheat. um the cheat sheets I think. I was going through my stuff and I used to write down the set list Metallica Lollapalooza 96 that I was talking about earlier. Um I wrote down the set list by hand. No and shit. I'm like at the back of a piece of paper and it's sitting in my I like <laughs> I used to write down the set list and covet it. So now I could so for what? I mean like like tell everyone is really what I did it for. But now it's like, I could go on setlist.fm and right. fill in. I was there yeah, and I could fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like, that's what it here's is. Here's a picture guys. And I'm not saying, <laughs> yeah. And here's a stub and here's yeah. a picture. And, and the reality is I'm not shitting on it. It's just different. Yeah. It's just different. And the, and there's, 
it's 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 a blessing and a curse. The too much information of it all. Of course. But um man, we all miss Chris. We all really that one felt, felt really just deep for a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Another and it's to be honest, it's not I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'll say a lot of these guys, Kurt is the biggest, right? But Lane, Chris, and Lanigan, of course, like the bottom of those three, as far as like being well known, are criminally underrated musicians yes. and songwriters. Mm-hmm. Lane, I think Lane maybe even the most, because like Lane passed so long ago at this point. Right. And everyone it was like a question of when with Lane is exactly. But Lanigan survived longer, who knows how. And I'm sure if he was, you know, I think he even said like he didn't know how, but these people don't get enough mainstream recognition because they were sort of under the umbrella of, and I'll say it, of metal. And metal is, quote, stupid, end quote, to people still. But grunge owes just as much to metal as it does to punk and Mm -hmm. anything else that those guys, you know, were influenced by that it it was a part of it. And I think because of that stigma of long-haired guys, which they all were, and they're canonized in that in that in that in that time period and frozen that way of being those guys. People forget how brilliant Lane was, and and Chris, you know, less so because he's more popular and more well known. But holy shit, right? Like, yeah, you know, what a bummer that they don't get enough due. They yeah. just don't. And and for me, like, it's having not been alive to experience it. Like, it's it's a it's difficult for me to square the fact that like. They were people who walked on the earth, who got up and like had a cup of coffee in the morning, like just like just like anybody else you see. Like it's such a their their humanity for me is is so elusive, Uh, like not being able to kind of put my arms around the fact that like they were here. It's it's a weird feeling for both of you guys. So I'm sure you feel that way because the age difference is a thing. And also, like you weren't even at an age where it's like you could go to the shows. Right. And. And look, the only reason why I am is is like quote cool with it. I'm still I'm, I'm t- as I said with Chris, I'm always like a little bit churning on the inside. Even like the handful of you know famous musicians that I know, and I have a lot of them like that I've interacted with and I see, there is still always something that there is a divide between us. Yeah, because that that success and fame and the ones that I really like. And are, I can actually count as like friends are small, but there's still always something. There's an aura around them, fame, you know, coated. It's a candy coating over the the chewy nugget of who they are. Yeah, you know that that makes them their energy different. And even and just because I was around it doesn't make it any less special. Yeah. Until you get on social, you're like, hey guys, I love I love caps and bottle cap. Here's my bottle cap collection. You're like, fuck. I don't want to see shit, but you know, it's, it's, and you guys are still, there's something really the positive for you guys and anyone who's younger, who didn't get to see this stuff in its prime. I will say to anyone listening is that it's immortalized in, in this era uh, that you don't have to like, you can just make it a fan. You can make, you can have an idea of what it was and you can keep that inside forever. And it doesn't have to be too human. It right. can be out of reach. Yeah, and that's what makes it. That's how that's Kurt and Lane legend and Laura. Yeah, that's how Kurt and Lane are. There's no chance of seeing them for us. I mean, Pearl Jam, we got, we were able to go to some shows. We saw Jerry, but you know, those guys, not possible. Um, yeah, we, the we, Jerry thing must be a trip. 
Oh yeah. Uh, one one more one more question about the 2012 uh, era and show before we kind of bring it back to Nirvana. I think so. You know, 2012. Obviously, the music landscape is much different than when you saw them uh, before. You know, we were joking like Coldplay. Yeah. Coldplay is at the top of the charts. I think like <laughs> My God. the different type of rock and roll. And uh, you know, Imagine Dragons of sorts. Um, how did how, how did the like Soundgarden resurgence and them coming back and playing like uh, you know how did that fit in? Did you did you did you feel like it was a little like were people yeah, was everybody really excited? Was it all old heads and stuff, or well, um, did it seem out of place that they were coming back and playing in a, in a sense? No, because just like just the example I gave earlier, like Blink is back now, yeah, and this is like their resurgence resurgence run, right? So that's like what it was for Soundgarden, because the Soundgarden resurgence is now like 13 years ago, yeah, when right. they first announced that they're back, right? What you were just saying earlier on Twitter. So you have to understand, like, there's still there's still fans out there that are still connected. It took the headline, uh, basically. It took a headline. It was like a it was a big thing. Yeah. Now, if if now with Alice in Chains, if they have gone away, you know, for the last couple of years and were coming back, it would be, it now it just in general for rock music, metal music, it would be the the news would be more streamlined. The biggest rock band is Foo Fighters. Yep. Right. That is the right. biggest name in, in rock. It's like Foo Fighters, like Queens, you know, like those are bands that are big. Like Foo Fighters is the band that can like play a festival. Um, like like corporate America, no disrespect for the band, but like they can chameleon and Dave Grohl yes. can get into any party with his band and play, even if like people are like, oh yeah, they all know Dave Grohl. Are they gonna know like track like you know? Um, are they gonna know like uh, uh, tracks off the first Foo Fighters like Watershed? Right. You know, like they're not gonna know yeah, those. They're, they're tracks, not gonna know Exhausted. But, you know. Like. No, no, but like, but they, people should. You know, whatever. Right. Like, that's, like, <laughs> that's that's oh, our yeah. opinion. Right. But like another it, pot, it's another pot. No. <laughs> I know you're right. Emergency <laughs> pot. It's a testament to Dave's perseverance of not really changing too much like yeah his songs are more broad and more like he's an adult he's changed he's evolved the songs right. aren't you know they're different but they're still um yeah he holds clearly food fighters and they sound like him but yeah he they do a great job of very few writing songs that sound like the old but have all the new that they want to play so they don't need to go back and just be a legacy act they can they can yeah. still play the new stuff and that's why the new album i think i think the new album is really grown on me in the past two weeks whatever it's been um i think it's gonna have its place for sure so i owe it a proper listen but yes i yeah. I, I what i've heard yes there's some real catchy ones in it it doesn't feel it just feels like it's more about songwriting than yeah. broadening their sound yes, yes sure. exactly yeah, so. that's a great way to put it so um moving sure. back to the oh what is it the 94 show so this was soon after kurt's passing and this will segue mm-hmm. into kurt so you know, because he passed in April and this the show was in June. Um, what did that, what kind of effect did that have on the show since you had seen them too? Was that kind of like, did that have any type of like effect on, that had to have on the scene and stuff and like what was going on there? Do you think there was a, you know, they played with more vigor because of it or, you know? That, I, tough I to think say. there was grunt. Well, remember, yeah, it is tough to say, but I will tell you that you know, as a, as a kid who was, um, pretty, pretty young at this point, like in like my teens, 
you know, like my mid to late teens, you don't have the emotional capacity, you know, to, I remember being upset about Cobain, but I didn't like lose tears or sleep over it because I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to understand what death really meant. Yeah. And, it, and like, we're not going to see Nirvana in 20 years. Like we're not, they're not going to, it was like, oh, there's not going to be more Nirvana, which is crazy. But um, I just remember realizing then that, and I think a lot of people who are, you know, I'm, I'm no genius, but I was emotionally, I'd like to think um, relatively in touch for how old I was. But I just remember thinking like, oh, fame is a real bitch. Having everyone know who you are is a real bitch. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, and the fact that like, oh, it was never about like, he's got it all money. It was just like, this guy writes awesome songs and awesome songs ends up, you know, you putting a shotgun in your mouth. Like it didn't compute didn't compute for me and um i was just more and more dug in to realizing that things don't last forever and again like i said you must go see these bands live you must do whatever it has because not just because i can talk about on a podcast with two guys who are 20 years younger than me you know uh, several years in the future but that is sort of a part of it because you can get to experience this stuff and like i said to to if people of their to not go experience the artists of their generation, even if if you don't like if it's comedy for you or music or both or um, art true like you know painters sculptors performance artists um, whatever your art is whatever you're into if you don't go witness it for yourself and nowadays if you just sit and look at it on your phone and it's actually playing out in real time generationally in front of you your peers, people a couple of years older than you, the ones that you look up to, and you're not going to see it. I think that's the one thing I will say to answer your question is that I knew that I had to dig in more to go see it. Yeah. And I think there was, there, I think other fans felt that way too. And it was so tragic and weird that um, people just knew it's like, and it's sort of gross to say, but it's like with his passing, we knew how important his art was. And I think that that's like a thing. Yeah. For any for anybody, you know, there's an episode of um Dave that's a show on Hulu and he's this white Jewish rapper, right? It's a comedy yeah. show, but it's also Oh, yeah, I I love the, Yeah, yeah, I know this. Oh yeah. It's a great show and and one of the episodes he the internet basically thinks he's dead and he decides to hold back on telling people he's actually alive because of the hype and the streams and the interest and the celebrities following him on Instagram playing tribute to him. And that it was it was a farcical, funny, you know, dark way of looking at what it means to die and what your legacy as an artist means to your to your to the fans and to the public. Right. Your public, you know, when you pass. But to, now it's like it's a tool. And whether you like it or not, it's always been a tool. Now it's just more commodified and quantified with likes and sure. T-shirts and followers and comments and quotes and collabs and honoring and it's all done from your phone yeah so that to me like when you ask me for a litmus test it's just like it was half all these things you're asking were happening but they manifested themselves in more emotion and the way probably people like wrote papers in high school i wrote a paper about steve clark guitarist for def leppard founding member in seventh grade spanish class (laughs) or english class so we're going to be posting that on the patreon for everybody that wants to read it yeah that'll be a special edition (laughs) that's gonna be for the perks for the the connoisseurs we have to thank our patrons here (laughs) (laughs) 
with an essay <laughs> niche, on Steve niche, Clark. Niche. My essay from my English teacher, who's also my Spanish teacher, Mrs. Karen. And I also and I made a collage about him and I spoke about how much it meant to me. So I knew I was in tune with it, but it came out as like I made a collage that I only images I could find of Steve Clark were from Metal Edge and Circus magazine. Mm-hmm. And I put it up on a piece of poster board. So I, I don't want to sound old or analog, but it was. It was just more hands-on. So to to know that these guys and 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 girls, like of course, girls are smarter than men, so like they don't fall in these tragic traps. Right. And men do, and they and they end up in this place where they can't handle it and or they're not well. And we've lost some of the best that way. And it just fucking stinks because I I rather have them get old and gray. Like you remember the way Landingan was starting to look. Oh, know, yeah. Like when I saw him like in the last tour and um, you know, and I was around him a little bit back when he was in Queens and then like modern day, like through things with the show, he really started to like have a weird, crazy, cool look about him where he was aging gracefully, whether or not he was healthy or not. Obviously, we know he yeah. wasn't for whatever was going on with him. But, you know, to not have these guys around and age and be prolific and give even less fucks, truly to give less fucks and do more art is a tragedy. Yeah. And it, it's not to be morose. It's just sad that, because I'm not ageist and I still think people are creating great shit. Proof to Soundgarden's King Animal. Absolutely. It's a great record. I would have loved to have seen what they would have done next. Yeah, me too. 100%. Shame. Shame. So getting into your show that you saw, this is the last thing we'll do. We'll probably close up shop. Uh, 1993 Aragon Ballroom, correct? First night. You got to talk about some Nirvana. Big transition. Nirvana's in utero tour. This is the first big <laughs> tour they really did because remember they were opening for Sonic Youth and right. the Sonic Youth film the year the year grunge broke. Right? Mm-hmm. It's Nirvana opening for them and everyone being like Sonic Youth has dirty. They're touring on that record. Nirvana's on Nevermind and no one really gets to see them live. You can watch the show at the um at the Paramount. The one yes. that, the Seattle show mm-hmm. is the greatest. That's that's the best show. Like the live oh, yeah. and loud is interesting. Uh, there's a couple other live shows, but the re- the the show at the, the Paramount in Seattle, right? Yeah, uh, that's shot on film. So good, it's fucking. That one's awesome. incredible. Yeah, the 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 and just like the video of that is unbelievable. It's, it's so not red. even to speak Films of how great the music film. is. Yeah, it's really good. Get the Blu-ray, buy physical media, you lazy fucks. <laughs> Have it take up space, take up space in your apartment and exactly. watch that. So. And so then they come back and what they do in utero comes out. And of course, this is the hottest ticket in the world. They, right. I think they start in Europe first. I don't remember, but they do two nights in Aragon ballroom again, which is again, where I see all these shows, a lot of them, they buy youth. It's October. They do two shows, October 23rd and 25th. I go, of course, keeping it real. I go to the 23rd cause I have <laughs> Gotta to go to that first, first night. First show Lederman. 24, <laughs> so, 20, 24 songs they do that's the first time they play you know you're right live they open with radio friendly unit shifter which is the um the first track off oh no it's not the first track off in utero but i always wanted it to be but um <laughs> which is all 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 feedback oh, and yeah. the, the first thing i remember about that show besides good like for levels with the are we good <laughs> <laughs> who cares let's Mulling rip your it. ears out who cares <laughs> so they open with that and it's all feedback the angels the angels are the anatomy model the angels which is close oh, yeah. to cobain and his anatomy and baby stuff and yep who knows i don't need stage to, I don't fully need to done up it. 
Yeah, you could see them. Remember, they pad on guitar because they th- want they want to fill out their sound um, sonically and visually. Everything was so bare bones. Right. Every every everything in them was bare bones. Even lights were just yeah. like not nothing was cued. Mm-hmm. So you see them putting an emphasis on production, and I knew everything was bare bones. That was my first thing, and I also was dressed very grungy. I was wearing like camo. I was I was very, very into this look because I was really transitioning away from sports and being more drums and music oriented because I was relatively athletic, not like your guys level, but relatively athletic for a six foot four Jew um, who would like <laughs> I, a good volleyball. Like I had my sports yeah. and I liked watching sports and playing sports, but I wasn't like a guy who followed sports at this point. Right. And my dad was a play by play guy. Right. I did a lot of that growing up. So it was a little bit of a rebellion for me. So she would go to the Aragon ballroom wearing thermals, thermal um, leggings, like black thermal leggings and camo shorts over them um, in October because Chicago yeah. was cold. But I was right. like clearly dressing like the way Seattle people dressed or what I thought it was. But I really, it's the only time, and this is me giving myself credit because I'm trying to paint a picture for you. The only time I ever felt that I wanted to mirror what the, the my idols and, and yeah. how I dressed. There's like a metal outfit. A lot of people like dress metal. I always like, I've pretty much worn the same clothes style, like for the last like two decades, just like t-shirts. I'm a t-shirts jeans guy, just better fitting t-shirts and jeans. Right. And like band swag and stuff. And I also know how to like dress like for the occasions. I don't show up wearing like metal clothes to a wedding. Although <laughs> you can, I did, you should. I did wear, I should, but I did wear Converse All-Stars to a wedding once when I came back from tour and all the girls, I remember like, you show up to this wedding wearing Converse All Stars. Fucking like, right, you're not I a do. rock star. You can't just show up like I go. I didn't even I'm know. Europe with my <laughs> yeah. fucking like patent leather shoes for this fucking guy's wedding. But yes. Yeah. So anyway, I'm there wearing my fucking like grunge outfit, and it's the first time my body surfed. Hell like, yeah! It was the most shit. Hell virginal, yeah. you know, virginal cheeseball experience. But it wasn't. It felt so. Re- I felt like I really belong, and like it was my people. I got smacked on the head a bunch of times. I did it a few times. I'm like, I'm good. And then I went back and like watched the show. Like the, the the guy who like watches from the back, but not too far back, which is my place. 60%, show, 70% back. You know. You know, <laughs> you know exactly. Close enough was. to the close enough and, to the restrooms and the beer, but close enough if you had to make a push, you could. Class, close enough to exit if there's like yeah. an issue because <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah, an erotic Jew and I'm like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so oh, shit's about to go down. Where's the, where's the exit? That's right. Where's the exit? So, but it was more just about also being in, um, you know, being in sonically in the right place. Right. And I always felt like middle right, middle left, in between front of house and the stage is the way to be. So I could get blasted by it, which my ears didn't appreciate to this day. Absolutely. But, um, that set was it looks amazing was it was I mean, every it was just everything i wanted to be and i don't have too much too much of it to say about cuz i was so taken with all of it yeah um, we can talk about the set list but i just want to say that i saw the basically the same show 2 months later when i went to san diego to visit my grandparents and i went by myself and i insisted that my parents drop me off i go i'm not missing the show yeah I brought like a joint, a little pinner joint with me. I'd smuggled in from, from Chicago and I smoked it myself at the San Diego sports arena. And I was nervous about it. You know, I was like, it's not a seasoned drug user. I was like, I love drugs and I want to be, but I'm also here by myself 
in another state in a venue I don't know. Right. No one around me. A town you don't know, like the whole thing. Seeing Nirvana. I don't know us, uh, seeing Nirvana, and I knew how important it was. Yeah. And I will tell you that th- that the sets are pretty similar, but not crazy similar. Yeah. Um, and again, these are October 23, 93 at Aragon, Chicago, December 29. This is, I think, the last show before they went overseas again. I- and you know they stopped down for christmas maybe to san diego san diego sports arena san diego california december 29 93. so but it was the this is and also this is this is broad this is every type of person at this show this is a big broad most popular rock band in the world right now right because they were so big at that time this is john this is zeitgeist shit. Mm -hmm. soundgarden don't get me wrong runner up to that yeah one of the seattle grunge bands but nirvana is if everyone knows who Nirvana is, your grandma knows who Nirvana is. I've heard of them. Everyone knows. Yeah. Every person knows who Nirvana is. How Bigger could you not? The set list says it all too. I mean, you, you know, you know these. Yeah, it's just full of bangers that are huge around that time. So, pretty safe. To, was, is this like uh, just a fun scale? Ten out of ten? Are we talking like per, one of those perfect shows? Let's go back to Chicago. Chicago's my that's what, that's with what my I meant. friends. I forget who I was with. San Diego was more, I actually was like, Whoa. I'm by myself. Yeah. This is the first show I'm ever at by myself. Okay. okay. Like different feel, totally parents. different. No one to bounce totally. off, no Again, one to like bounce off ideas with, be like, yo, this just rocks. And like, yeah, man, <laughs> no hype, yes. man. And I was, yes. And I, hold on. I have the stub. I think I had a seat. I had a seat. Here it is. Yeah. Nirvana. No, I was GA. Oh, wow. I was GA for both these shows, but I was definitely more reserved and more uh, prone to caution right. because I didn't want to, you know, but I really watched it and there's footage of this show. Um, you guys reminded me of that. I'm like, I didn't see, but there is of the San Diego show. Right. And um, I, I just like, it's not fair because that was it. Right. Because this is a band that requires more grunge Bible talk of, all right. And then uh, Nirvana after in utero Nirvana, you know, the next record, the next record. To me, Kurt had five more albums in him, if not ten. Yeah. And to and I knew that because if you look at Incesticide, Incesticide is the buffer between Nevermind and um, uh, in utero. In utero, just like the way Sap Sap is in between Facelift and um, Dirt and Jar of Flies is um, after, you know, um, right. But before dirt, the, and then of course before we, the tripod, three legged dog. Yeah, that's right exactly so um to me it's and just like um uh, uh pisces iscariot the pumpkins is a uh, is to me an album um uh so is uh so, so is um oh my god i'm blanking on the on the nirvana incesticide incesticide yeah. so to me that's all we got and like so i still i still feel like i have three i have four albums in nirvana i feel like which um cements them to me in their legacy because to me, it's like having two is the minimum, like perfect records. But I think, I think Bleach, Nevermind, obviously, Incesticide, and um, In Utero are all perfect records. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think Incesticide is very underrated. It's like we threw it all together. It's like no, you didn't. It's perfect. It ends great. It sounds different. Chanting on drums and some things. Right. Like, it sounds. It's awesome. Yeah. So to have to have that be my last show. You guys are like, oh, it's so cool you got to see Nirvana, but it's like it tip of the iceberg shit for me for Kurt Cobain as a master songwriter 
But then like, look, we wouldn't have got foos. But to me, foos is like, not like you can't compare it. It's just a different guy who, who crazily enough was also a very prolific and talented songwriter and multi instrumental that we got because we wouldn't have gotten that probably if Kurt went on. But, um, and I wouldn't say I trade one for the other. It's what happened. Right. Those are, those are questions. It's like, yeah, it's like you can't even make an answer for it. But and it's interesting too because in the with all of the 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 press lead up and the follow up to In Utero coming out, you know, Kurt was fairly outspoken about his consternation about like you know I don't have any songs left right now. Like I don't know what we're gonna do. But you have to figure just like the creative mind that he was, you know, that there I, it would have been so interesting. And for me, it's I think one of the the greater you know what ifs of the era of like like where would he oh, have yeah. gone? Like what? Like there's so many different areas and so many different things that I could have seen him getting into. Uh, and, and, you know, he had such diverse tastes and you just know that he loved to do the very thing that people might not have expected him to do. So like, yeah, to, yeah. to think about what he may point. have done, uh, the collab have aspect of Kurt Cobain is crazy Yeah, because would he have it's softened endless, up yeah. in his old age and stop being so, yeah. And, right. like, and, and the boundaries wouldn't have been there because he would have probably dropped the the punk sort of stand up because, but that was a guy, I think at the end of the day, he's not here because, and I'm a big believer in this as someone who's had this because he had physical bodily pain Yeah, and it wasn't like the fame, right? That, that, that was just a fucking like cherry and, and hot fudge on top of a pain Sunday for mm-hmm. him. The fame, it, yeah, it was hard for him to deal with. It'd be hard for and the strongest person to deal with. Right. Not like like a guy who is a more questioning, you know, I'm sure slightly insecure artist, like they all are. But then to have physical pain that is not fixable, that can only be cured um, with an opiate, that is a curse. Yeah, That's a is. curse. And then to keep living that way, like, it's incredible what we got. And I would say the same thing about Lane, because Lane contributed musically so much in the Lanigan book will tell you Mark gives Lane a lot of credit as a musician. Yes, he does. Which you don't hear anyone else. You yeah. don't hear anyone else talking about Lane Staley as like no. I mean, he had a great voice, stoic yeah. stage presence. Yep. But Lanigan that... and Lane, look at their stage presence, look at their whole bot like very similar. Mm-hmm. But also very tight friends that right. know, as per Mark. Right. Sounds like from the book is what yeah, it was. And that story in the book about when Mark went in to record Long Gone Day and Lane's working the board and it occurred to Mark at the time. He's like, I don't even know how to do any of that. And Lane is just like, he knows how to do all of this stuff. Like he's so much more than what people might think of him as like just the voice. You know, there was so many other aspects to him. But that's how society remembers these guys. Exactly. And when it's a, when, when it's a news item on CNN mm-hmm. about Chris Cornell, people just want to know if he was fucked up. Yeah. They want to know if he had a troubled life, troubled mm-hmm. past. It's, it's like it's trauma me. porn almost. People just love that shit, yes. and they love they they they're they're so attracted to trauma, tragedy, and they will do anything to put somebody into a box because it's got to be a headline. And these people were so far too nuanced to be a tidy little headline. And it's yes, and it's not the me- the media just caters to what people want. Exactly. And they can also you could argue that they shape tastes. Right. And, and and human viewing habits and desires, but it's all lizard brain shits in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's all, that's what it is. But like, it's just a reminder to people who are listening to this podcast, people who love this era of music and art, art in general to not, it is hard. It's like, should we, uh, this comic said, said something horrible, this musician, um, you know, hit his ex-wife or just, it's like, do we cancel them? 
it's up to you. It's a free country, right. but the art is the art is the art. And maybe, and everyone has that choice to listen to what they want or what they don't want, but the art is all that's left. Not, not, not that they, Oh, you know, I also like raised snakes and like we see their social media feed, but we know they're a creep. It's disappointing. It's disturbing. Uh, most of the time we don't really know the full story. I'd say, I'd argue and say all the time, yeah. but the art is the only thing that remains and that's it. No matter how they pass, no matter who they hurt, who they were great to, yeah. who felt left out, uh, the art remains. And I just wish that we had more of it from all. It always comes back to this for us, right? Yeah. You guys think at the CMI did, but it doesn't matter because eventually they're either gone or, you know, we're all, you know, not going to be here to make this art. So celebrate it how you can and, and keep finding it how you can. Yeah. And this is a two hour pod. Absolutely. Like and, and, and that's exactly, that is the exact sentiment that I think keeps us coming back to do this and keeps us so interested in having these conversations because that's at the crux of it, you know, it's the art and what it means to us and how, how it informs how we view the world and how we view relationships and how we bond with people oh, yeah. over it. You, you don't find that in, in, in a lot of, you know, I, I can't even call it a hobby because it's more than that. It's more meaningful than that. Like you don't find that everywhere in, in ways that, humans choose to spend their time and interests that humans have like it's right. a special thing and 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 even you know music is a special thing but even more so like you don't find that in every era in every genre in every scene of music and there's just something about this era yep. that's what i worry about though i do worry about that for you know the the youth you know every generation older generation worries and criticizes the one beneath it uh, and then this time, now we can like analyze all the generations and say, right, see, it's all, here. all them. it's all here and accessible and we can do it. But my point is that, you know, I'm worried that people don't have, they don't know the names of the people in the band. They don't know like anything yeah. about them. Ethan says it's that all, all the time. It's too disposable. Makes right. me crazy. Yeah. It's sad. Cause you, you, as, as a fan and, and just as, 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 as a youthful person in your youth, you miss out on something when, when those elements aren't there, I think. You, you, you miss out you miss on out. an experience. Well, there's no connectivity. Right. You know what it is? Like, you guys, like, it's like you're not going to go back and make your own art, whatever the art is. If the art is just like having a family, if the mm. art is like taking a trip, if the art is like creating like a song or painting a whatever it is, you're not going to output if no one inspires you, if it's all just disposable. And that, that's not the old man and me talking that it's like, that's why I still buy physical media. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? That, because I still want to feel it. Not all of it, but I go by because I buy vinyl and everyone's like vinyl sounds warmer. You know, it's like, you know why I buy vinyl because CDs aren't practical and vinyl is big Yeah, and it takes up space and the art is big and I can touch it and it's, it creates the most surface area and it's prominent in my house. And that's why I do it I because like it's, it, that's the only reason why I can open it up and look at it. That's what I do. You know what I mean? And and that's it. And I just like, I don't think like, look, this is, this is the tape that I made in high school of my band. We recorded no this. We recorded this. The band is called crumb cake. And there's, it's a, it's a scarecrow that was out. And we put a crumb cake in the crotch and had my friend Debbie Gamson shoot it. And then we shot it. Cool. And then we have, it, you can feel it. I mean, everyone did this. But like that's, that's me making that, cool. and then there's my car. That that's see the see the tape deck. That's the tape deck that everything got stuck in. My Volvo <laughs> with a pack oh, of man. Camel Smokes, a crumb cake, 
and then oddly another tape that looks like this tape but the guy who recorded it's this guy dave trumpio who if you look him up he's a producer in chicago king size sound laboratories he did like tortoise he did a lot of like bands of the era it was like one of the first big recording studios in chicago and we recorded this in 93 so it's the idea i worry that people aren't going to make shit it's all just going to live on a server somewhere right again i hate sounding old but like it's not people need people need stuff people need they need like they need to put this in yeah and I understand the text, so split the difference at least. So, I don't know. It's another pod. It's called "Why Can't Lederman Put His Physical Media in Storage?" <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to have a special guest for my girlfriend. Yeah, I was going to say we might right. have to have a, have a have an additional guest on there. <laughs> going to have her on. We're going to have her on. So anyway, absolutely. It's only a matter God of time. bless you, boys. God bless you guys. Eric Lederman, thank you so much. As always, uh, every single time, every interaction we have with you, every text. Uh, is incredible. Uh, you know, I'm very grateful that we get to call you a friend. Oh man, back at you guys, and I just appreciate you letting me babble and spread the word of this incredible era that is will never run out of topics. And um, we will. I, I I can't wait to think about you know hear what you guys do next. And I have to be better about listening. I'm terrible with it. Um, just any, listening to anything in general besides music, which is the That's- truth. <laughs> even though uh i hear you i there. work on podcasts all day and i just like only want to listen to music it's yeah. great i just it's like still the escapism for me that i need and the outlet i need that really cuts through everything so all so the best cool. guys onward and upward grunge bible podcast tattoo it on your face onward and upward right? stay and, heavy and the words and the words of a wise man stay fucking heavy stay heavy like we all love the ballads of the era too but like yeah. hit those b-sides bros yeah stay yeah, heavy, stay heavy. Thank you so much, Eric. Eric Lederman, everybody. Until next time. And there it was. That was our conversation with Eric Lederman. Once again, a massive thank you to Eric for taking the time. Uh, and I have to say, every single time uh, we talk to Eric in particular, um, it's like throwing gasoline on on the fire that is my passion for music and just talking about these types of things. Uh, you always talking to Eric and talking to a lot of these people, you learn a lot, you laugh a lot and and you think a lot about the music that we're passionate about. And, um, it's conversations like that. And it's, and it's bands like Soundgarden and Nirvana, um, that, that tie us all together, you know, different eras, different geographic locations, different ages. Um, you know, we're all cut from the same block and that conversation was, was great evidence of that. So massive thank you once again to Eric Lederman for, uh, Wanting to come back. I mean, this, that's the thing. A lot of people, they come on for the first time. They don't know what they're getting into. But Eric, Eric's known for a while, and he still wanted to come back. So uh, we are greatly indebted to him for his continued presence here and his support of us, uh, you know, both uh, on the show and behind the scenes. He's a, uh, as we said, he's a real one. He is, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, talking about all those songs and performances and, and, you know, it just makes me want to go back and listen to more Soundgarden, you know, just like, all right, it's time. I'm back in the Soundgarden zone. And and, uh, I love that. I love the inspiration. So um, if you are here still listening, thank you. Uh, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be, it would be all for nothing if we didn't have people out there listening. I guess it wouldn't. It's still pretty fun, the conversation. It's but, nice to share with people, though. But if you are here, still here at the end, um, you are also a real one. So thank you for uh, putting in the work, putting in the time. And um, we hope to bring more episodes just like this um, if, if they are interesting to you.
So yeah, thank you. And, and if you're still here and, and that was interesting enough, now may be the time to, uh, you know, go above and beyond and show your support for this podcast, you know, through the Patreon, as we discussed at the top of the episode, uh, also through merchandise, through sharing the show with a friend, uh, through leaving a review, uh, sending us feedback, uh, anything that you choose to do uh, beyond just listening is a massive help to us. So thank you in advance for your continued support. And uh, for any additional action items that you cross off the list here for mm-hmm. the Grunge Bible podcast. But Ethan, I got to say that was a long conversation. Uh, it was a, it's a busy week. Uh, I'm really grateful that we were able to have that. But I think we just cut to the chase right here. We'll, we'll, we'll pick a couple songs of the week and send the people on their way to go forth and serve as knights of the sound table. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to... Uh, Picking a picking out of a hat here. I'm actually going to go with a goose song. Uh, one of my favorites. One of my first. Back into the goose. Back goose, in the goose. Goose song. always pops up on the Grunge Bible podcast. They do. They do. And I'm going to pick up Hot Tea, and uh, it's a beautiful jam. It's really fun, and uh, I believe I saw it at my last show. Um, but it was one of the first songs. Shout out to Eric and Evan Crow. Uh, they are my disc golf buddies. Me, me and Elijah, two redheads, playing with uh, two other. Well. I mean, Eric's not completely a redhead, but there's like basically four redheads playing disc golf. We're both brothers of the same age. Uh, Evan's a little bit younger, but uh, we always listen to Goose when we play. And uh, I believe great. Hot Tea was one of the first songs that they put on for um, Elijah and I back when we were getting into them. So uh, Hot Tea for the Crow Brothers is what I'm going with. I love that. That's excellent. So uh, in addition to the Goose, um, I'm sticking with what was heavy today. I'm sticking with Soundgarden. My song of the week will be Black Rain uh, that mm. we discussed with Eric yeah. uh, during this episode, especially that um, that live version they played on Conan. I, I watched it multiple times this morning uh, in the aftermath of our conversation with Eric last night uh, and just continually blown away. You notice something different every single time, but that's going to be my song of the week. Uh, so we've got you know both sides of the grunge Bible coin here. We've got the grunge and we've got the non-grunge. Uh, and, you know, when you put it all together, it uh, illuminates the sky with everything that we need. Uh, yeah. uh, that sounded a lot better in my head, but who cares? It's It's been a long episode. Yeah. Uh, once again, um, thank you to Eric Lederman. Yep. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Eric. Thank you to our thank producer, you, Drew McFadden. Thank you, Drew. thank you to the listeners out there. Thank you to the top-level patrons and all the other levels. Until next time, rock and roll and stay heavy, guys. Stay heavy. Take care, everybody.